It's not exactly Christmas, is it? But it is episode 0023 of A Review to a Kill, our Bondcast. Coming to you from fanboysanonymous.com, we're reviewing all of the films in the James Bond franchise, and we are coming down to the very end here. We're going to talk about Skyfall for this edition. Thank you for joining us for this whole thing. Tony Mango reporting for duty, and I'm joined by the last rat standing, Robert DeFelice. What did you expect? A quirky intro? We don't really go for those anymore. <laughs> and an old dog learning some new tricks, Callum Wiggins. I always hated this place. <laughs> Let's get some plugs out of the way here before we get started. A reminder to everybody, we want to know what you have to say about the film as well and what you have to say about what we have to say about that. So by all means, drop a comment below, leave some kind of a message on whatever platform you're listening to or whatever it might be. You know, send us a tweet at Fanboys Anon or at our personal Twitter accounts or post something on Facebook or the page on fanboysanonymous.com or whatever it might be. The best, of course, being YouTube. And while you're over there on YouTube, hit the like button, hit the share button, hit the subscribe button if you haven't followed the channel already and ring that little notification bell as well. That way you get the email alerts of when things get posted, when we potentially go live on things. Not as many live things on Fanboys, but we're going to try to do some more of that going forward. If you want to help us out, you can pick up some merchandise on TeePublic and Redbubble. You can also hit that applause button on the little section around like the like button and the share button and all that stuff. It's kind of like a little tip jar sort of thing. But even more so, there is the members only join button where you can get some access to stuff that you will only get if you are in the members only side of things. Or basically, it's the same thing as the Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash fanboysanonymous, then you can support us in that fashion and the more that we get from anybody that wants to support us on the monetary side of things, the more content that we can bring you guys. So even a dollar is not only a bargain, but it also goes a long way in helping the morale and just helping us keep things going, do some different stuff, you know. So if you like what you see, you want to help out, take that into consideration. And let's just start getting into things here. Let's talk about the title, Skyfall. Uh, I don't have any foreign language title variations because they're all just Skyfall. But I do have uh, some reported working titles. They may or may not have been actually what they had for working titles and everything, but these were the ones that I had stumbled across. A Killing Moon. Don't really uh, see yeah. it. Uh, Once Upon a Spy. I... <laughs> Don't think that works. <laughs> that sounds more parody than anything else. <laughs> that sounds well like the Disney Channel version of a teen James Bond film. Mm-hmm. Might as well have called it I Spy With My Little Spy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's also Silver Bullet, which I don't see the connection. There's Red Sky Is it at Night. Silver Bullet? Yeah, <laughs> Raul Silver Bullet. Red sky at night doesn't make any sense. There's no red skies. At least not that I'm remembering. I don't remember well, the sky at night I mean, being I guess red. The idea is that uh, maybe skyfall burning is the idea of like setting the sky on fire. Maybe. And then there's carte blanche, which I actually like. I like that too. That's one of the yeah, few titles that I've been waiting for them to use in some fashion. Um, the one that I really, really like is uh, Devil May Care. That's not reported for this one, but 
it's always been this kind of like maybe they call this one devil may care and it's like that would be cool i like that title i agree tagline wise the only one that i came across was the victories of yesterday become the losses of today so dramatic yeah uh, I have no point to add this in there other than the beginning of this because it actually doesn't exist, but the Michael G. Wilson cameo ended up being a deleted scene. <laughs> he was a mourner at a funeral. So, no, God, like... Lots of, uh, lots of tropes with the podcast coming through now. No Michael G. Wilson, no foreign language titles. Yeah, it's, uh, it's sad. Um, other notes about things before we get started. Judy Dench has more screen time in this film than all of Desmond Llewellyn's time as Q combined. Well deserved, but still sad. I mean, you think he's been, uh, he was a part of 17, I think, Bond films. It should add up over time, but yeah, she is uh, just this one alone. She, you know, outranks him and she with that becomes the person with the second most screen time on screen other than the actors who play Bond uh, themselves. Because she's awesome. There's also some other people that have been a part of some other things. Uh, Derek Watkins was a trumpet player for every single Bond film from Dr. No when he was 17 up until this film. And he unfortunately died four months after the movie's release, so this was the last movie for him as well. Um, I think that's all the notes that I have uh, ahead of time for this. Yeah, so I guess I'll I'll say another thing that's just sort of here uh, at the beginning of things. I love, absolutely love, like seventy five percent of this film, and I hate twenty five percent of it. I don't know about the, the actual percentage, but there are a few elements of this film that I absolutely hate with a passion, but most of it is just fantastic. And we'll get into those specifics a little bit as we go along. That's kind of the whole point. But um, generally speaking, overall concept, how do you guys feel about the movie? I, I'll go ahead because I actually know that. I know this was your favorite, so go ahead. Yeah, I, I don't think I could say enough good things about this movie and the majority of them are dialogue-wise. I think this is the most brilliant, like some of the most brilliant conversations and the most brilliant speech. Just And it, it's a tour de force led by two incredible characters in uh, Daniel Craig's Bond at this point in time and Judy Dench's M. They, I mean, they're, they're, besides the scenes where they're together, obviously, because they can't steal, they can't steal it from each other because they're both just so powerful in that regard. But they both just take full force in every scene that they're in. And it just guides the whole movie. And I think pretty much that for me is more important than any, anything else. Is it a perfect movie? No, it's not a perfect movie, but it doesn't have to be to be something that's just, yeah, absolutely magnificent watch. I had, I went into this entire series having already watched Skyfall and Casino Royale, thinking oh, there's no way that Casino Royale is going to be beaten in my rankings this year. Surprised, and he's been obviously surprised by on Her Majesty's Secret Service, but then 
getting around to yeah casino royale is better than that but then i watched skyfall just watched it properly because i think the first time i watched it was probably when it first came out and that was years and years ago so i was a lot younger and i wasn't really paying as much attention not taking notes obviously as i am for this series no i watched everything leading up to it too as well Mm. yeah and just listening to everything that's being said all the back and forth stuff the the special effects and the and the explosions and the action that's all that's all really good stuff but it all just fades into the background when you just look at you just concentrating on the the arc that both bond and emma telling throughout this entire thing and i just think that's a masterpiece so i know why tony says what he says about hating 25 percent of this film because i think this film after telling Really the first cohesive two-part with uh, Quantum Solace and Casino Royale. They spend a lot of this movie talking about how James is old. And how James is kind of, maybe it's time for you to be phased out. (laughs) But I think that Judy Dench's M makes this movie one of the best in the whole series. And I think that she is the star of this film and what she brings to the series. Having, even though we kind of say maybe this is a different M than the one from the Brosnan days, but carrying on those 17 years as this character, it's heart-wrenching to see everything she goes through here. And she's got some great lines about the changing of times. And I think that this movie masterfully told what it needed to tell. If you switch a couple things in this film, and it's only a couple things, but it takes up, I mean, Rob just mentioned uh, the bulk of it. If you get rid of the Bond is antiquated idea, which they partially did because this was the anniversary, but I hate it. You get rid of that, you tweak a couple little things. This goes from, I'll spoil, my number four rank to number two at the very least. Because it's, again, I said I love about 75% of this film. It is some of the best stuff that they do mixed with just a few mistakes that ends up like tarnishing it for me. And it's very close to a almost perfect bond film. Uh, just happens to have a couple things that are, that are some flaws in it. So I don't want anybody thinking that, uh, that I'm going to be like crapping on this movie. Absolutely not. There's so much to talk about how great it is. Yeah. I am quite interested to hear what you consider to be mistakes this movie. Because again, not saying it's perfect by any stretch of imagination, and I obviously take those take those into account. But I'm interested to see like whether me and Rob share this perspective of whether they're mistakes or not. Well, there won't be anything as, quite as uh, crazy as like. Well, I mean, I, I have some nitpicks. I have some. No, this is flat out a mistake. And I have some things that are like, I just don't personally like such and such, but. Nothing as big a mistake as Bond deciding to put on some weird eyebrows and pretend to be Japanese for an, 
the half of me. <laughs> There's a difference between that and some other Um So let's start this off the way that we start off all the films with the gun bar. Damn it to hell again. <laughs> yeah. Here's one of your mistakes. You know, so, honestly, but it's I didn't it's, mind it. I really didn't mind it considering how the movie went. Well, Sam so Mendes, the director, though. said the reason why he didn't do this is because he thought that it looked weird having the gun barrel and then a shot of Bond's silhouette and pointing a gun. And I say, tough shit, pal. Don't start off the movie with a silhouette then with that. The shot's not cool enough to warrant not doing the gun barrel. You just spent two movies doing this whole like, well, we're not doing that, but now he's James Bond. And then you go, yeah, but I really like this this one little shot. I'm like, then do an insert shot or get rid of that shot. It's a trope of the series. Do it. You know? I don't think it's, it's a cool enough shot to justify it. I think at this stage, it's a different series. You know, it's younger viewership. Maybe they don't even know. Some of the people watching don't even know the gun barrel at the beginning. I don't like it because we've been, no pun intended, barreling through this series. And we're used to it at the beginning. But it's it's okay at this point. I hate it with passion. Because I was just like, well, you know what? They They have no excuse at this point. They did two movies being like, all right. We teased you. Now he's Bond. Now whatever. We're going to do this. And then it was just kind of like, well, I like this artistic shot. And it's like, no, it's it's not good enough for that. If this was something where you just couldn't in some fashion, whatever, I don't know. But no. Anyway, Bond is on a mission. There are some dead agents all around. One of them is still alive, though. Ronson. But he's shot. And he's bleeding out, and Bond wants to stabilize him. But M tells him, leave him. And Bond is, of course, upset about this, just being like, you know, well, he's going to die. And she's just like, well, it's more important that you go get this hard drive. Instantly, it feels like a different type of movie. This feels not necessarily darker, but a little bit more gritty and realistic. And I like that. Yeah, it is more um, serious. It feels like there's more stakes attached to this one. And yeah, it do- it feels like immediately the Bond has, I guess, matured, grown up a bit now. And even developed a, 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 an amount of empathy, which obviously you wouldn't attach to someone who's supposed to be a double O. But he's someone who he's still obviously warring a bit with M, but he'll still do his mission. Yeah. I like it. I think the fact that he shows heart and she says, leave him, sets the stage for a lot of the film, quite frankly. And how much do their lives matter over the overall mission? Is uh, the bean counter looking at them as just numbers? (laughs) (laughs) In a lot of ways, yeah, but that's her job. A lot of how much do you value human life over your task? And it's a good story to tell, especially in this agency. 
So Bond pretty much has to leave him, and he tries to stabilize the wound as much as he can, but he heads off knowing Ronson's not going to make it. And he's picked up by another agent, played by Naomi Harris. We'll learn her name is Eve, and we'll learn more about her later on, but let's just call her Eve for now. Cue the action sequence. A kind of low-energy car chase, relatively speaking. It's not not as low-energy as like the one from The Way of the Gun, for anybody who's seen that movie. Great movie. But it's still not the most like you know energetic and action-packed. But it's not bad. That's not like a criticism. It's just that it's... It's kind of like it's uh, slowly reaching a different level kind of thing. And the main guy that they're going after is Patrice, who has this gun that's like a handgun and a Tommy gun mixed together. Kind of neat. I like that. Yeah, yeah that's it's, pretty cool. Yeah, it's um, it's a nice uh, weapon to have him in to switch between basically the way that he's firing at people. As Bond will know to his cost. We get some motorcycle action on the rooftops, which is kind of weird how this is the third movie in a row in the Craig series, even in particular, that starts the movie with a chase in an environment with a yellowish filter and the second in a row to have a chase on rooftops following a car chase. <laughs> it's kind of just like, I mean, I all right, you like start to... off with that. <laughs> I mean, I thought you liked Tribes, Tony. I don't like it I when you keep doing the same thing like that, you know. I think that you could switch it up a little bit. And they, oddly enough, the next film starts off with a yellowish filter and uh, a foot thing and the car chase, kind of not in the same fashion, a different vehicle chase. But like, uh, you know, it's just uh, they, they like starting these movies off with the yellow filter and more of like um, something on foot rather than like something else. I don't know. Interesting. I, I wasn't offended by the CGI of him uh, like driving the bike across the the roof and stuff like that. I thought that actually looked pretty good. Compa- comparatively to some other movies, let's say. At least we're finally in this era where the CGI has come together nicely and basically this movie is less than 10 years old. So it's very akin to the movies that we see now. There's no uh, surfing with um, parachute and <laughs> any of the stuff from Die Another Day when it comes to that. Thankfully, I thought Die Another Day was modern too, and yeah, messy. <laughs> um, so Bond and Patrice end up on top of a train, which I, I like that uh, Eve is talking to M, and she's like, "They're on the train." She's like, "What do you mean they're on the train?" <laughs> that kind of thing. Not that they're just, uh, you know, they got into a train. And Bond gets into this construction forklift type thing, and he gets shot by Patrice. This is only the second time Bond is shot on screen. Can you guys remember the first? Mm. I want to see because I couldn't more. remember it. I had to look it up. Was yeah, it during been... more? Nope. Was it? A, was it a um, Dalton thing? Was it Brosnan? Nope. <laughs> well, then, fuck, what was it? Then? One of the Connery ones. Wow, yeah, that, yeah. that is pretty far back. So, yeah, that, I'm trying to think which one he would have been shot in. Um, Is it from Russia with Love? Nope. I'm thinking Thunderball. 
it is Thunderball. He gets shot in the leg or foot or whatever it is. Uh, oh, yeah, because he comes out. The foot the, chase um, thing. And yeah. they, they track the blood. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I remember that, yeah. I'm like, wow, yeah, he technically got shot there. But this is the first time we actually, like, really see Bond get shot, which was kind of jarring uh, when I saw it the first time. Just, well, it's going to be followed up the third time. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, wow, they're okay. Bond's getting shot. And then I was like, all right, well, you know, it, he's dodged enough bullets at this point. It makes sense that he gets shot once in a while, you know, <laughs> kind of crazy to think that it took all this time for him to properly get shot. I think, I think he was like just super used to being like behind bulletproof glass. Hmm. So he just assumed that he was fine. And just one just snuck through and got him right in the, in the shoulder chest area. This is uh, not only the second time that Bond was shot on screen, this is also the second time that the word fuck is said in the movies. That's the first time that it's audible. Um, you guys remember when fuck was seen, uh, said before? <laughs> I want to say it was Brosnan? Nope. Then I don't know. Cause I was thinking it might have been M. <laughs> Yeah, I can't say it would, it would even be. I imagine it would be in the Dalton movie, maybe at some point. Yeah, it's uh, in daylights. Uh, Dalton says, "For fuck's sake!" But it's muffled by the plane. Right. This is also the second time that Bond cries. The first, of course, being you know, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. That one's not like a whole. Guess what that when that was? Yeah, it's kind of the end of a movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So Bond hooks the forklift into the train car ahead of him, climbs on top, jumps in, adjusts his suit. One of the more showcased shots of the film. I like that shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I thought it's was uh, uh, an interesting way of doing things. And ultimately, all of this leads to Eve set up with a sniper rifle. She can't get a proper shot of Patrice, but time's running out. M tells her, take the shot anyway. And she hits James instead. He goes flying off the train into the water below, and we're back to the trope of 007 dying in the opening sequence. Which was hell of a hook. Because it's like, I'm what, like, wow, okay, they shot Bond. And then right afterward, they shot Bond again, and he fell off the train. <laughs> oh, big distance. And into the water. Okay, where are we going here? You know, yeah, it is. It is a big. Um, it hits you like with a big surprise factor because you just expect that. Okay, they're heading towards the tunnel, and like Eve is standing there with a the gun. You just shoot. Okay, well, Bond will probably just deal. Either Bond will deal with trees, or they'll miss, and they'll go into the tunnel. And maybe they'll have. Maybe that's what the opening uh, credits is: them fighting in the tunnel. While there's something, while all that stuff is going on, and they have some sort of like interesting sequence put together maybe something like i don't know maybe uh, a recreation of the willy wonka ride <laughs> but uh no I, I yeah i think that was a um it's a good way of re- immediately hooking the audience because they haven't really they have done that trope a couple of times but they haven't i mean the only time that i really remember them super going to it is obviously you only lived twice but I think it's always a good, easy hook to get the crowd, get the audience invested by having Bond seemingly die early on in the movie. Yeah, and this plays into the opening credits so beautifully. 
And that's something I really enjoyed. Because if you're going to go after Bond and accidentally shoot Bond, the way they did it with the opening credits was really fun. And I thought it was a lot better than when they just showed him being tortured during Die Another Day. Let's talk about those opening credits. The visuals are great. All this imagery works super well with the film. You even get to see Judy Dench's name in front of a tombstone, for instance. A little foreshadowing. You get antler stuff from Skyfall. You've got, you know, these uh, skulls popping up, Bond shooting things. You got silhouettes. You got, it's kind of everything. You get the dragons. Very cool. This, if I was going to rank the opening sequences, this might top it. Yeah, I absolutely love the imagery. I think the transitions are like, so smooth and good, like graveyard stuff. Lots of images of blood and skull skulls and obviously bombs in there in the middle of it as well. It's just, yeah, I thought it was a really good encapsulation of all that was to come in the movie. And if you're talking about potentially ranking something at the very top, the theme. Wow. Fucking fantastic. It is my number one ranked theme. Adele's Skyfall. You put it at number one. I feel like it wasn't number one for you when um, I last spoke it, to you. It totally is number one. I knew that that was going to be the number one from pretty much the very start. I... I cannot tell you the reaction that I had when I first heard this because I was just like, all right, well, Adele's got a good voice. Like that, that's cool. And she's calling it Skyfall. That's good. We get the past two films. They didn't want to name it after the film. They did, you know, my name and they did you another way to die. And I'm like, well, a thing like Skyfall, she's not going to call it Skyfall. It's going to be called something else. It's going to be like, you know, uh, death is death is sweet or some kind of, you know, whatever it might be. And it's like, especially after the last one, because it's just like, blah, it's kind of like a swig of cold water in the desert or maybe a can of oil based on this film. (laughs) But uh, like, it's so perfect. It's got that Bondian feel to it. It's got that Shirley Bassey kind of quality. It's it says Skyfall. It's got these ethereal elements to it. She sings it fantastically. I've got like 10 different versions of the song that I've got, you know, cover versions and remix things and people doing like, you know, here's like a violin cover and whatever. It's one of my absolute favorites to listen to. It's just, it's like the perfect Bond theme to me. There's a romantic side to it, but it's not, so heavy into the romantic side, like all time high, where if you played that, people wouldn't think that it was a Bond theme quite so much. You play this, people are like, is this a Bond theme? If they didn't already know, which this was like a great, you know, hit on top of that. So people know it now, but this is where I go like, all right, live and let die. People love it. To me, it doesn't feel like a Bond theme as much as something like this does. This is just fantastic. I can't say enough good stuff about it. This is, okay, I'll spoil this. It's not my top spot because there are other songs I just enjoy listening to more. But from a Bond perspective, this is the best possible 
coming together of worlds, honoring the past, but really updating it. Adele was made for this role. I feel like everything that she's brought to the table in her career was leading up to this. This was so good. And the visuals make it even better. This is the perfect Bond opening. Yeah, I think that for me, it's number three on my list just because out of all the Bond songs, Living Daylight's the one that I like to listen to the most just to my spare time. And I still consider Diamonds of Forever like the iconic Bond song. But this is just an awesome listen and really gets to be obviously Adele's performance is very good as well I, I always thought that her performance is a little bit passionless but maybe that's actually like deliberate just because well, it is a Bond song and Bond himself is quite passionless as it, as it turns out in different areas of his uh, existence but I think that the orchestral element of this song is so mm. unbelievably good just like all the yeah just all the musical equipment that was like behind this sort of thing all the the horns and the the strings and all that other stuff. It's just it just all blends together so well, and it's the first real one where it just feels like there's it's been it's been well, first in a while. It's been a long time since we've had a song, I guess, of this kind of nature. Because I think like with all the ones for quite a while, especially from like the early two thousands into the nineteen uh, nineties and even like the late eighties, they've always they've always uh, tended towards the more I guess, uh, how would you describe it? The more like modern, trying to get in with the kids type thing, whether it's like indie rock or it's uh, like pop music with Madonna and stuff like that. And it's not, it's not like any of those songs are particularly like bad or anything like that. They like each to your own in terms of your taste and stuff like that. But this, as Tony says, this feels like a return to a classic melodic Bond style thing. And it's, it's probably the first one. How, what would you say the last one that's been like this would be? Maybe Golden Eye. Don't say License to Kill. No, don't say Golden Eye either. It's Tina Turner. It's not God. It's definitely not Golden Eye. How about that feel? Like she's got like a Shirley Bassey kind of feel to her. Tina Turner. Now she was too like. Um, she was very. I, I don't know how to describe. It. She was very not raspy, but she was very like lispy in the performance. Like I don't think realistically the only people that I think in the list that have that sort of voice that have done those done this type of song are Adele, Shirley Bassey and Tom Jones. I can't really think of anyone else that kind of fits that mould. Maybe you could make the argument with License to Kill, but I think License to Kill is a bad song anyway. So I love that song. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's a bad song. So. I love the lyrics um, to Skyfall as well. Like, uh, you know, some of it's... I always like the Bond themes to have lyrics that you can listen to on their own and they're, they're not like, his name is James Bond and he's a secret agent kind of thing, you know? Like, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love the song Secret Agent Man, but that's a like parody type of thing. And when people write these like fan submissions of Bond themes and they end up writing lyrics from previous movies in there, I really don't like that. Like, uh, there's a song that I, I do like, uh, a Quantum of Solace take that somebody did before called Forever. And it literally hooks entirely around the whatever I, uh, whatever I am, I'm yours 
And I'm like, that's just, that's Casino Royale. Don't bring that into this one. It's a follow-up, but at the same time, just don't take lines from the previous one and go, this is what I wrote. Like, so I like that it's like, um, my favorite part of the the lyrics is the, where you go, I go, when you see, I see. I know I'd never be me without the security of your loving arms keeping me from harm. Put your hand in my hand and we'll stand. This, the way that she sings that alone is just like, that's the best part of the song to me, but let the sky fall when it crumbles. We will stand tall and face it all together. Sky falls where we start a thousand miles and poles apart where worlds collide and days are dark. You may have my number. You can take my name, but you'll never have my heart. Like they worked on it. They did the work. Imagine that, you know, when people do that kind of stuff instead of, you know, been saying this yeah. a million times. Good things are good. Yeah, exactly. That's, the, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. It's, it's really good. And I think it's illustrated by, I think this is the most we've talked about a song since maybe The Living Daylights. Imagine if it would have been more like that. Just like... Well, uh, then it wouldn't be Adele. You know, like we've got like this this opening that has that kind of somber tone. Like, I love the shot of M just looking out uh, the window with it raining. And then it just kind of goes, ah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> Bonjo Scotchot. This is, again, a, a good microcosm of what I've said at the beginning of this. You put the gun barrel at the beginning of this. Perfect opening. So it's like 75% great, 25%. Just like, ah, man, that one thing. You class the gun barrel as 25% of an opening. It means that much to me. <laughs> Remember, if it's pointy, it's... <laughs> I mean... Like I said, I, the percentages might be off, but maybe it's 10%. But it's still like, that's the that's the flaw. Then you got a whole bunch of great stuff. Some of the best stuff. And it's like, oh man, you just narrowly avoided being perfect, you know. That's kind of what's going to go with like different parts of this film for me, where it's just like, this is a problem. This is great, 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 great. Oh, that's a problem. Great, 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 great. Oh, that's a problem. That kind of thing, you know. Um, and I'm ranking this super duper high. Like, so anybody who says otherwise, you know, listen to the end. Um, back at MI6 though. M is typing up Bond's obituary. This is, I believe, the third time that we've seen it. It's at least the second time that we've seen Bond's obituary, because you only have twice. And on her desk, we've got a little bulldog statue, which will come into play later on. So I'm setting that up. Chekhov's bulldog statue, I guess you could say. Uh, M and Tanner are called to meet up with Gareth Mallory, played by Rafe Fiennes. It's been three months. They still haven't recovered the hard drive. And we now know what is on it. It's a list of spies that are deep undercover in various terrorist organizations. It's basically the knock list from Mission Impossible 1. The worst thing you can let go other than, like, nuke codes. <laughs> so she, uh, she fucked up. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it does show why she was so desperate for mm-hmm. Eve to take that shot because she knew it was like the last chance unless of course she was gonna I guess risk them going under the tunnel and Bond having to do what he does 
Yeah, because she wouldn't be able to just get another shot, go around, do that kind of thing. It's take the shot. You might not make it, but at least like there's more lives at stake than just bonds kind of thing. You you see like that she was working with a bit more recklessness than maybe she would otherwise do because she knows the they know the dangerousness of the situation. But yeah, I, I really like this as like the hook for it, like the the reason, like the I guess the motivation behind what they're doing going forward. Because I would say it's a really serious list to lose. Like, these people that are embedded within who who working for MI six or NATO or any I think it's one of those organizations, but they're embedded within terrorist groups and they're trying to obviously get intel from them so other people can come in and deal with them. And if that information gets out, then, well, as it turns out, terrorists aren't particularly nice to people who they find out <laughs> in their organizations aren't, uh, aren't exactly yeah, on board. Yeah, yeah. I'm shocked to hear this. That doesn't just become one of those things where they go, hey, Gary. You stop <laughs> Slap on the wrist. You Come on, rascal. man. I thought we were cool. And then he goes, I got me. And they're like, well, can you leave? Here's your, here's your stuff. We're going to pack it away and... We're not going to give you a savage package. I <laughs> <laughs> gave him some form of savage package. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh. So that is something that, of course, needs to be addressed in, you know, whatever fashion that they can address. And Mallory informs her that she's being forced to retire and she's going to be given all these honors because, you know, well, we're thankful for all your service and everything, but you're out. He even says congratulations to her firing or voluntary retirement as it's, you know, more so repackaged. And he says, you know, you had a great run. Leave with dignity. To cool. hell with dignity. Yep. I'll leave when the job's done. That's what a fucking line. Cause she's M and she's badass, you know, and it's kind of self-referential. I'll leave when the job's done. We'll get back to it. You know, but great, like quick introduction to Mallory, where you're like, ah, this is the, you know, this is the government dickweed, and he's gonna tell M to fuck off. No, that's our M, you know, that kind of thing. And she gets this moment from the beginning of this where we're like, oh my god, she said to take the shot, but then right afterward, you're like, yeah, but she's awesome, you know, kind of like, so you immediately forgive M a little bit, you know done very very well big fan of that Uh, in the car ride back Em and Tanner look at how somebody's trying to decrypt the drive and they track it to MI6 HQ somehow her computer specifically and when they try to shut it down a graphic pops up that says think on your sins and then MI6 blows the fuck up (laughs) at least portion of it does which is like, God damn, all right. I think that they say six people got killed in the thing. Yeah. So again, it's another big transition moment because this is the building they've used since Brosnan's Bond. So it's the well, real, it's a real, it's a real Yeah, I know it's the real MI6 building, obviously. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering how they actually um, filmed it then. It's a model. Oh, it's a model, right. Okay, that, that that makes a lot more sense than actually saying, can we blow up the real building <laughs> we promised to rebuild it? Like, uh, come on. <laughs> for God, yeah, think of all he's done for you. 
but yeah, it's um, but yeah, again, it's another transitional moment in the way that we've seen them use the building and seen the outside of it for these last six or seven movies, and now it's blown up. And what are they going to do about it? To be fair, it's the second time we've seen it blown up to some degree. Yeah, I mean, there was the uh, well, it's not enough, but <coughs> different sort of uh, tone when it comes to. You know, Sir Robert King blows up and it's just kind of like, oh, fun boat chase. And this one's just, uh oh. Elsewhere, Bond is fucking some girl. Love it. She never says oh. a line. She has no name, not even in any expanded material. So she's on our list as what she's credited as Bond's lover. I'm going to rank really high on her uh, Bond girl list, is she? <laughs> No, but I'll, I'll yeah, I'll, I'll spoil that she's not at the bottom for me. And she gets out alive. Good for her. Well, we don't see that she dies. <laughs> That'd be like really terrible if that happened, though, right? Just like yeah. uh, you know, one of the scorpions gets to her or something. She has the bottom of my list just because she doesn't really do or say or anything. But um. Bond goes to a bar and he plays this drinking game. There's this scorpion on his hand. Cavalier attitude towards life and all. Makes sense. You know how they film this? Just by having a scorpion on his hand? That's like, of course, there's tricks and stuff. I'm just joking around. (laughs) Uh, At another bar, he sees a news report of Wolf Blitzer talking about the MI6 bombing. So some... You know. I thought we didn't get our news from CNN in this <laughs> Yeah, <series. laughs> that's a good one. I love the shot of M standing with all the coffins draped in the Union Jack flag. It's a really good shot. Yeah, just strengthens her resolve. People should be proud. And then back at M's place, Bond has snuck in again. Call back to Casino Royale. And... The outside of that that they used is actually the former home of John Barry, the composer who did a bulk of the Bond films. He had died in 2011, a little bit before this. So they just use the outside of that as a little bit of a tribute. Which I think is kind of neat. M asks, where's Bond been? He says, enjoying death. 007 reporting for duty. And he's rightfully pissed. That she said to take the shot. <laughs> well, oh, first, the first thing I want to note about that is that when M comes in and she see either sees silhouette or just like feels the presence of Bond there, she turns around and she says, "Where the hell have you been?" In no way shocked or in no way like um, you're still like, alive. You're you know? still alive. That type. Or who she is said this? It as in like she's like, oh, she's known that she he's been alive this entire time. Is she just gonna just respond that way? She expects yeah. him back like a, like a week after he was shot off the building by her order. But yeah, I do. I I can shoot him. I trust. I trust that he'll live. Yeah, that's the kind of vibe I got. Like, of course you're alive. Where the hell have you been? Like, I mean, they didn't find his body. They didn't find any evidence that he was dead. It, he's been missing in action and presumed dead. So you know, there's always that little bit of that doubt, but. I do like that she's just sort of like, instead of like, oh my god, thank god, you're okay, James, she's just this like, you know, 
what the hell? It's been three months. And he says, you should have trusted me to finish the job. And she said, she still thinks that she made the right call after all this time. She's a Sterpinoid bat, but you kind of agree with her a little bit. It didn't go well, but can understand why she made the call. Yeah, like there were more lives on the line. I think Bond understands that by the end of this. Well, I think Bond both understands that, but he also feels obviously betrayed to an extent, obviously, because he got shot off the train. But it's also due to the fact that uh, she didn't trust him to get the job done. Mm-hmm. And by this point in the movie, well, this point in the series, we're supposed to believe that Bond at this point is a veteran MI6 agent. In the first two movies, he was in his, he's only just become a 007. In the second movie, that's almost a, almost a direct continuation from the first. Yeah, it's literally so one, minutes after the film. Yeah. So in this one, you're supposed to imagine that it's probably been years afterwards, so he's been working with them for a long time at this point, and he's become a seasoned 007 agent that needs to be... And it's like there's certain elements which they talk about the fact that he's also like this old dog new tricks in the same way that she is quote-unquote too old to be running the organisation at this point is making mistakes because of it, so... They have a bit of a kinship that way. But the only way that's possible is that Bond has been working there for several years at this point now. And that's one of my biggest criticisms, if not my absolute biggest criticism of this film. And the Daniel Craig series in general, because as I've said multiple times, two entire films of, okay, now he's the James Bond you know. Now he's Bond, now he's Bond, now he's Bond. And as soon as you get to where it's like, okay, definitively, you cannot keep this going forward anymore with this tease of him turning into the Bond that we know. He's already fucking old and over the hill. You skip the entirety of his career. She says, you've played the game long enough. They both have. What the hell? This bugs me so much because it's like a criticism I have with the Batman films. They've gotten into their head for some reason recently with the Batman films. Nolan did this, and he, he Nolan has some tweaks to the Batman mythos that I think are absolutely 100% brilliant that people should adopt going forward and everything. But he did Batman Begins, where he doesn't even have the Batcave. And it ends with, okay, now he's Batman. And then the second film goes, "Eh, well, not really. And then he retires. And then the next thing you see from him is 10 years later, he's beat the shit already. It's like, okay, well, then when is he Batman? And in this scenario, it's okay, well, then when is he James Bond? Because he, if you watch the movies in a row, he goes from rookie who just started to, ah, you're too old. Are we meant to assume that? everything that we've seen beforehand in some fashion like what Uh, I hate it I absolutely absolutely hate it because it doesn't even work with the plot if it had to be about Bond being old that's a different story but that could have been something like No Time to Die which I'm pretty sure it is but this is about M And Bond, if you take out the idea of Bond being old and beaten down and whatever, you can tweak it just a little bit, and it's so much better in my mind, because Bond can be 
a little rusty with something. He can deal with when we get to later on where he's like, he's not able to shoot right and whatever. It could be because of the injury. It could be because he is just in a mental state. That's a little bit weird. It doesn't have to be that he's old and beaten down and should basically retire because that doesn't factor towards the end of the movie. It's not like that's the end of it. They did it because they thought that it would be interesting to be like, oh, it's the anniversary. Bond's been a franchise for like 50 years, so let's just do that. I think it's a terrible mistake. Okay, I'll make um, several Devil's Advocate-style defensives towards that. First of all, the only people that really, I guess, indicate towards Bond that he's either old or lost his way are people that are definitively younger than him, which is Eve, and which is Q, probably. Mallory does, too. I think Mallory's more... I guess Mallory does make an argument with that regard as well, but that's probably also due to the fact that Bond is... Well, he comes back and he's completely washed up because of his injuries and the fact that he hasn't been training or keeping in any sort of shape because he's been, as he said earlier, enjoying death. So if he was still in the condition that he was when he was doing that mission three months ago, then he probably wouldn't probably wouldn't have as much thing. But she talks about how M is sentimental towards him. But that is also more of a front. Uh, to me, that's more of a front on her right than it is on Bond. I before feel you, like before you get to your next point, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick apart those different things. I think that a good tweak on that that I would have suggested if I would have like do a, a run through of the script beforehand. I like the idea of like, oh, you're sentimental towards Bond. To me, I'd play more into the mother father mother father the mother and son relationship and be like. He's the the young guy that you're still looking after and you're still treating him like he's your baby. Rather than guess, he's he's old, you know? Yeah, I, I guess that's a, that could be a fair replacement. Um, another point I'd probably say is that Bond can still be considered a veteran while still being a, a reasonably young 007 agent. And what I mean by that is we don't know how long it takes to become a 007. It could be something that you get instantly on, like, like you, you're just like, essentially plucked out for it immediately and stuff like that. Or it could be something that takes you years and years of aging work. And then you say, okay, now we're ready to promote you to 007. So he still could be from a quote-unquote bygone time, like someone who worked as an agent in the 90s and 2000s, and then is only re- well, not 90s, 2000s, but 80s, 90s, 2000s, something, something to that period of time, and then has recently become a 007 and has worked at, in that rank for, let's say, from Skyfall, it's been like five, six years from this point. And it's, it's it seemed like he's still he's still stuck in his ways in the same way that's like a, thir- a 35, 40 year old man is more considered to be like more, I say stuck in their ways, but more traditional and conservative than someone in their in their 20s or late teens. Because there's no, there's no denying Daniel Craig is in his, at this point, is in his late 30s, early 40s. Can't really take that away from, you can't really like pretend that he's not at this point. Which makes me go, they should have cast Henry Cavill. I think that they should have gone with the 22-year-old in Casino Royale. And then we could have had four Bond films before we start getting into the, uh, you're starting to get 
past your age range kind of thing or something. Well, yeah, well, that's that has a lot of um, hypotheticals. Would Henry Cavill want to be Bond? Want want to be typecast to a character for that long? Would because that one we know. Because he he's totally cool with it. <laughs> he's, he's said this before. He's like, I'll, I'll be Superman forever if I want to. Like, you know, uh, I would love to be Bond and Superman at the same time. That kind of thing. Like, he's cool with it. We know that. That's I mean, yeah, that they would have. He said that he'd be cool with it. Would he be? Would he be capable of doing both being both Bond and Superman at the same time? I imagine he'd be in danger of a lot of things. Those characters seem to survive everything, but damn, they get put through the ringer. Then again, though, if he would have been cast as Bond, he wouldn't have been cast as uh, Superman. It's weird. He's had a weird uh, set of, like, he was auditioning for Bond, auditioning for Superman, eventually almost gets Bond, eventually does get Superman, but for different movies, you know, different things. That's it, an interesting thing with Cavill, but different story. I mean, I, I thought about you saying, like, even though Cavill could be a, a very good Bond in the future, like if it mean if it meant that oh you should have cast Cavill in Zero, I said like well that means you don't get Craig and I'm I'm sorry these if anything from these past few movies has said for me Daniel Craig's been one of the is one of the best James Bonds so I would do anything in my power to keep him in the role for as long as he has been and I think that. I, I, again, I don't think that you need to tell a story that being a 007 means that you have to be in your 20s when you start out. You, you, could be, you could be in your 30s when you start. Yeah, so you could do that and you can tell the story of Bond being old, but I hate that they tell the story of he just started and now he's at the tail end of his career because you skipped the whole thing. We didn't even get one film of Bond being Bond. Daniel Craig's Bond I mean, I don't know if they're going to change it up with uh, with No Time to Die, but in the four movies that we've seen so far, I never feel like he's quite James Bond. I always feel like they're trying to do something different. They're always trying to not quite do the full series. And they don't have to do all the tropes. They don't have to do whatever, that kind of thing. They can switch things up once in a while. But like, I always feel like they, they're ashamed of Bond. Like, we, we don't want to do the vodka martini line. That's old. We don't want to do the the gun barrel. We don't want to do the whatever. We're going to get to another line later on that it really is kind of like that. It's okay if he does this. It's okay if he does that. It, he doesn't need to say Bond, James Bond. We don't need to have whatever. And then their only real hook for it is, well, he either just started or he's just ending because now Bond's passe. And it's like, all right, well, then I don't like when the series is just a criticism about the series. Can I have a Bond film that's a Bond film? And by watching the Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace, I was really disappointed with Quantum of Solace when I went to see that in theaters, and I still am, about that it was just a follow-up like that. Because I was like, all right, well, Casino Royale told the prequel origin stuff. Now we're going to get to see what Daniel Craig can do as Bond. And then it was like, oh, no, we're just getting an extended extra scenes to continue Casino Royale. But okay, well, then at least the third film's going to be that's Daniel Craig's Bond. And instead, I'm like, oh, no, now he's playing the old retired Bond that Roger Moore should have an octopusy. Isn't that kind of ra- like crazy to think that like they basically went from Dr. No to A View to a Kill? Kind of, yeah. I almost feel like for the story they told here, if they could have gotten Brosnan to do it, yeah. it would have been nice. 
that that should have been the movie after Die Another Day, almost. It, uh, it's hard because for me, there will always be a bit of a disconnect because in the timeline, he looks the most different from the other Bonds. But I do think Craig has played the role exceptionally well. So it's hard to knock him too much. And but it's I not do his fault that they, that they do this with the script either. That's not something I could blame him well, on. I think I think they've gotten into the mindset of like they're telling stories with an already established character now. I don't I guess they're trying to build on It's a commentary on the like, franchise. It's not the film itself. That's the problem. They're they're asking Is it a problem? I think it is because they're asking people to think of Bond as a 50-year-old franchise and not as a guy who in the previous film just became a double O. Now, Tony's already said he hates this. What do you think, Callum, about the theory that tries to tie all the films into one timeline where they're all the same guy, they're all the same character, but it's told in pieces. Which I like the people that try and put it together in some sort of way to make it make sense in chronological order, but but you can't do that because yeah. just of the just the nature of the time that the things are shot, it just doesn't make any sense that things it, happen the way that they do. You'd have to ignore lines like Valentine saying, "I hear the new M is a lady." If you go back, and then it's like, well, M was a lady when he first became double O, you know, like that. Well, you have to ignore that anyway. Because if you're watching a prequel and you're like, wait, M's already a lady, then why is, by Goldeneye, is he so thrown through a loop by that? Well, that's why well, it's, just different. Yeah. it's just different continuity. It's just, you know, total branch timeline kind of thing. But you can uh, get around it a little a little bit with like the 007 Legends video game where they were like, hey, like what if those things happened in this timeline as well? Just updated where like maybe that Felix Leiter played by Jeffrey Wright, maybe he is with Della and you have to kill Sanchez. And it's like this kind of idea, of course, it doesn't quite working a hundred percent but like they tried to tell the story of like die another day happened and it was craig's bond with these tweaks and moonraker happened but it was craig's bond with these tweaks and that kind of thing even still though it's just kind of like i don't think you need to do it in the movie i don't think that there's any benefit to bond being old and washed up and if you take that out of the film it doesn't change anything other than the criticism of that. It's, you know how sometimes you'll see fan films of like Batman where they'll just do the whole, well, my Batman's actually gonna, you know, feel the effects of all this and he's going to kill the Joker. And you just go, yeah, but Batman wouldn't do that. It's kind of the way I, what I think you're getting at here where it's like, I, I know why they're doing it because they want to comment on the franchise mm-hmm. and the fact that Bond is a 50 year old character, but doesn't that hurt the present timeline you're in? 
Yeah, that's um, that's basically how I look at it. I mean, I would say that if this present timeline hadn't created both Casino Royale and Skyfall. Fair enough. So it just means that because they're the two top movies on my list, and again, it's just my opinion and not speaking for everyone in that regard. But if if in at least in my opinion, this uh, timeline of Bond where it, I can agree has been more of like a commentary on what the franchise has been prior to what it is now can has created two of the best Bond movies. Then I'm kind of, cause to me it just feels like, okay, they've taken what was like fun, childish, nice, uh, childish, but like fun, a bit more mindless, a bit more just carefree Bond style movies in the past, but you can't live off that forever. Bond had to develop some depth at some point. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think that the, the Craig movies in particular have done more than any Bond series in, in general, which just add depth and layers to the character. Just meant that he's got, he's more than just a gun and a penis. Yeah. And that's like, that's where I come into the, like, it's so good with just some flaws. And it's like, man, you came so close. It's kind of like if you, I don't know, you you get a triple in baseball and it's like you almost got a grand slam. You can be really, really happy about the triple and it's like, you know, uh, this is great and it's, you know, whatever. But like, it's just like, man, one more pass of the script and it would be perfect. And it just happens to be that the problem is like something that I find like really bad with that kind of thing. So would you say that I would say that all issues would be corrected, but do you think like most of your issues would be corrected if there had been one movie between this and between um, Quantum of Solace and Skyfall? Ideally, three. But there's no way Craig would have been able to do three movies in that. Well, that's so I, I know you're saying the Cavill thing again as well, but but it just no. Feels, I mean, that it's it, it, it's a problem of some other things that that wasn't their control too. Like it was writer strike stuff, and it, you know every one of these movies. Daniel Craig has only getting into his fifth film, and it's been like 15 years. They used to pump these out every other year, and right. it's just been snake bit. Like, look at like No Time to Die was supposed to come out two and a half years ago. That would have been the time frame that they could have potentially made another Bond film. So I don't blame them for that, but I blame them for just being like, ah, fuck it, you know. <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Like, I, I think it's the way that movies are done now too, because if you look at the Connery films, where like year after year after year of these movies, whereas as Tony just said, Craig's only done five, and it's been fifteen years. And it, uh, to bring back the Batman thing, it bugs me that like after doing Dark Knight uh, Dark Knight Rises, where it's retired, old, beaten down Batman, Zack Snyder gets a chance to do Batman, and he goes, so my Batman's uh, pretty much retired and old and beaten down, and you go, well, damn it. When are we going to get Batman again? You're like, you know, <laughs> we're going to get the guy that just goes, ah, I'm sick of this, I've been doing it for 20 years. I get that, the, like, the Dark Knight Returns is this big, super popular thing, but, like, Whatever happened to the characters being the characters and not having to be, you know, let's justify their existence in the modern era over and over again. I feel it's overcompensation, kind of. I mean, I mean, I mean, that's fair enough. But to, to me personally, it would just be a case of if I was to see, again, I don't want to like 
um, devalue the journey that we've been on in any regard. But if I was to see a movie now, I've seen several of the uh, Craig movies, and just to go back and to watch a new Bond essentially do, I don't know, Man with the Golden Gun or Octopussy or something like that, for me it would feel like, wow, this is quite a retread. He's just doing a mission. Yeah, <laughs> to me, to me, it would feel like okay. So you've now gone back to the the Bond that is, yeah, he's just a, a charismatic suave guy who who saves the girl, saves the world, that sort of stuff. And to me, it just feels like well, that's that's a bit basic. It also bugged me, and we'll come back to this, but it bugged me that it was like okay, Bond's already tapped out, and we never even got Q and Money Penny. But of course, we get them later on in this movie. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but that was just sort of like, oh, come on now. Like, you know, it's kind of, I don't want, um, I guess I take another character, uh, Spider Man, Tom Holland's Spider Man. He hasn't had Uncle Ben yet. Now, we know that Uncle Ben technically had to have existed. He's got a briefcase that has uh, Ben's initials on it and stuff. But like, we haven't seen Uncle Ben. He hasn't done anything with Harry or Norman, or some of the other kind of tropes. And if the next Spider-Man film is all like, well, I'm going to hang up the mantle and I'm going to give it to Miles Morales, I'd be like, dude, you could do that 10 years from now. You could do it 20 years from now. Why skip to that? Like, you know? And Holland is young, but I think all of that is a commentary on the way that the current generation makes films, because I hear it all the time where they go, I'm tired of seeing uh martha and thomas wayne get shot but in reality Mm. when's the last time in a batman film that you've like gone through the origin story that's kind of going to be what this next one is with pattinson i think it's just we know so much of the lore now that the constant need to reintroduce feels dated yeah and i think that's how you get these films it's something that uh that doesn't sit right with me and to spoil something for the next film they just act like that just doesn't exist anymore so it it serves no purpose because they don't even carry it into the next movie i hate that let's go back to the scene (laughs) Uh, bond says so what happened to ronson you know and m confirms yeah he died as expected. So, uh, she tells Bond that he has to pass his tests to be reactivated. And she also says a shower would be good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she reveals that they sold his flat and put all of his stuff into storage because he was considered dead. He has no wife. He has no next of kin. And he's not going to stay there. Yeah. Her place, you know. You should have called. Uh, little does M know about the kid that he had in Japan. That's in the books, though. <laughs> the books he's um, got a, a kid from you only live twice, so I uh, could always bring that back in the future. Especially because he's so old now that the kid could be like forty, right? Yeah. <laughs> so Tanner takes M to the new base underground. Bond does his tests while being filled in on how they're tracing the attack and everything and we see that you know bond he's able to do some pull-ups but he collapses they're hard and all but yeah i mean i've never been shot so <laughs> yeah i was gonna say if you tried to do pull-ups i've been shot in yeah. the chest 
And to be fair, I haven't done any in a year or so. But um, yeah, without receiving any medical attention, presumably <laughs> because you're just presumed dead, right? Because you're a blunt instrument. You're stubborn. Also, Bond sucks at aiming his gun now. I like how pissed he is that he just walks forward and starts shooting like, well, then I'll just do this then, you ass. And it's like it's a stationary target bond. <laughs> like, yeah. I like that moment. Uh, he's put in a room with a psychologist that wants to do a game of word association, which is one of my favorite parts of this film. Uh, his example is, I might say day, and you might say, and you of course expect Bond to say night. He says, wasted. <laughs> yeah, his responses to this are so just all perfect. I don't like that that's the one that makes you go, oh my god, this is so funny. Do you, do you uh, resonate with that, Tony? It's it's a great start to it, because then you go, uh, okay, he's not going to play this game. And the exchange is so good. Gun. Shot. Agent. Provocateur. Woman. Provocatrix. Heart. Target. It's like, ooh. It's a serious one. Bird. And he just <laughs> rolls his eyes. Sky. Like, oh, god damn, we're still doing this. M. Bitch. Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and Mallory just looks at her like, hmm? <laughs> Sunlight. Swim. Moonlight. Dance. Murder. Employment. Uh, country. England. Skyfall. And he doesn't say anything. So he prompts him again. Skyfall. And Bond just says, done. And walks away. Ooh. Yeah, it's a good reveal of the word. People that either aren't familiar with it or maybe are familiar with it from the books and stuff like that. But just like, this is the first time you hear it in the movie and you see how much of a reaction it gets from Bond from the get-go. Oh, they had not revealed what Skyfall meant when this came out. That's cool. So I assumed that it was another Thunderball situation where it was like, okay, Skyfall was this mission that he went on. Something went wrong. They're bringing it back up, and that's going to be like the villain's going to be somebody tied in with the Skyfall mission, you know, codename Skyfall, whatever. Eventually, we find out what it is, but uh, it's one of my favorite scenes. And uh, I want to play a little word association with you guys. So, the first thing relative to the Bond series that you think of when I say this. I'm going to do a little Smarks choice for anybody that's been following Smark Out Moment. Uh, play the game. I don't know why my Echo Dot just went off for that. That's kind of weird. Because <laughs> the first thing I was going to have was Gadget. Cute. Yeah, okay. Villain. Goldfinger. Blofeld. Car. Aston Martin. BB-5. M. G. Dench. Bitch. So the fact that you said it. <laughs> Q. One. Uh, Desmond. Girl. A woman. Vespa. Fight. Train. 
See, I, I thought the line, I speak English because it's before that fight in the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> Bond. Brazen. James Bond. Drink. Vodka Martini. Yeah, Martini. Song. Guy Fall. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd probably say Skyfall as well, just because that's the most recent one. Opening. Gun Barrel. And is it credits? <laughs> A woman. <laughs> More. Moonraker. Moonraker, yeah. So, um, yeah, tell us your uh, reactions or those little things in the comments below. Bond then does something I could never do. He digs into his shoulder to carve out the shrapnel from Patrice's gun so they can analyze it. Uh-uh. That's an agent right there. Fuck that. I don't like pulling a hangnail. <laughs> <laughs> if I, like, I bite my nails all the time. I never have any nails, really. It's, like, really terrible. But, like, if you get, like, that little bit where it kind of, like, pulls it in a weird spot. I'm just kind of like, ah, man, this is going to hurt all fucking day. <laughs> you know, I got a paper cut. I'm just sort of like, this sucks. My life's like, you know, it's not a bad thing that happened today. Kind of a thing. I'm not carving my shoulder to get the shrapnel out. First off, I'm going to the goddamn hospital, but like, you know, it's like, all right, you're badass. I get it. He also says it's for her eyes only, which is like, yeah, yeah he said the thing. Yeah. Yeah. The movie, the one he didn't do. Bond then meets Eve they have a little exchange about how she shot him (laughs) she's been suspended for killing 007 and he says well you gave it your best shot and she says it's hardly my best shot Uh, he says I'm not sure I can survive your best and uh, she says I'm not sure that you'll get the chance so she plans on getting back into the field and he says that it's not for everybody. And in her defense, you know, a moving target is a lot harder to hit. <laughs> and she just caps it off with, well, then you better keep moving. Wow, they have great chemistry. They work well together. It's almost as if it reminds you of something, right? Yep. So they didn't reveal that either. And I'm just kind of like, oh, I like her. She's a cool Bond girl. Yeah, she, um, yeah, at this point in time, if you're like not sure of who she is, really, then it just feels like, okay, it's just, she's, she could be a cool little flirtation, uh, like from within the, within, it's, it's, cause it's weird for Bond to be with an MI6 agent. Doesn't really right. do that too much in the series. And they teased it and die another day, but she was a double agent. You don't mix business with pleasure, unless you're Bond. And then sometimes they just overlap. (laughs) So here's another issue that I have with the movie. Eve shot Bond. He got shot twice in the opening sequence. Patrice's bullet is the only one that affected him and gives any real meaning to the plot. Eve shooting him is a point of contention. Like, sure, you know, the whole M thing and, you know, you shouldn't uh, take the shot and all that other kind of stuff. But it's kind of treated like she slapped him in comparison. He just says, uh, you know, I had some broken ribs, whatever, it's fine. 
But Bond has a scar with the Patrice one. He digs out the bullet for that. He he didn't bleed out and die. Nothing. It's almost as if he got hit with the boxing glove arrow from Green Arrow and not shot with a high caliber sniper rifle type of thing. Like I would have liked to have some bit of dialogue about something where like a some kind of a thing where ideally in my mind my my potential rewrite of this that tweaks just as little as i could possibly change because it most of it's just amazing i would have put something in there about like the bullet maybe didn't necessarily go through him in a particular way or it whatever it, maybe it hit something kind of like what we've had in the past where like bond got stabbed in octopussy but it was like the money Maybe something where it's like, yeah, she took the shot, he got shot, and he got shot off the train, but maybe he didn't really get, like, shot shot, and that's why that's not a factor into it. Because it almost seems like Patrice's bullet's the only one that really matters. Didn't he say he, he, she only got four ribs when he took when she took the shot? I'm and pretty it, sure he says that she, had, yeah. she only damaged four of his ribs. But it's kind of um, like, eh, you know, it's nothing. And then well, by that, it's done at that point. It's never brought up again, really. Uh, well, I've got, I've got, again, a few devil's advocate style things for that as well. Just first of all, I feel like he doesn't blame her for it. And so he's being, because Bond just puts up shield and uses his own like twisted humor as a defense mechanism. So he's just using that to play it off as like with her because he doesn't blame her. He blames M for ordering her to do it because she's just, he, uh, Eve is just a regular agent, and so she does what M tells her to do. Bond isn't like that, but Bond doesn't expect other, I think Bond doesn't expect other people to be like that as well. And then I feel like we we don't know that the other bullet the other gunshot isn't affecting Bond's performance, and that's not part of the reason why he's, he's sucking at his physicals and stuff like that. We just know that that's the one that's affected his because that hit him in the like near the shoulder area, so that's the one that's affecting his aim and his ability to hold his gun. That's where I and think you need at least an insert shot where we keep seeing that the shoulder one bothers him. Mm. You don't see any repercussions from the one that Eve did. That's fair. Maybe he could do more on that side of things. But third, and I think most important, he's attracted to Eve, and so he's not playing it off like he's... So he's playing it off like it doesn't matter to you. I think you keep exactly what that is, but you just show that it's affected him too. That's where my flaw is. It's kind of just like, all right, well, don't worry anymore about that. It just moves on. I'm like, ah, oh, man, he got shot. Like, if the other shot is such a big deal that, like, Silva eventually, you know, references it and shows off the scar and everything, then it's kind of like, he also got shot right afterward in another thing, too. Like, I don't know. That's, that's one of my flaws. I think it could be better. Uh, second thing to address with this this is not a flaw at all but it's just the banter um, hey you know what let's hold off on that uh, let's keep the game going a little bit longer with this, with Eve Bond jokes that out of the bombing the stupid bulldog thing on her desk went unscathed <laughs> just like that thing survives you know I like that just a real little reminder and M says that Bond passed his tests by the skin of his teeth, and he's back to active service. But Mallory asks, hey, why didn't you just stay dead? 
he says it's a young man's game. Ugh. And he points out that M's sentimental about Bond, that he, uh, that's blinding her to the reality of the situation. Bond's lost a step. He's, you know, rightfully so, just kind of like, you people here at MI6 are running this weird, flaw, uh, flawed kind of ship, and I got to step in and get you guys to stop fucking up, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's not quite the moment that you start liking Mallory, but I think at this point, most people would probably agree with me where you're like, I see where he's coming from. Yeah, I'm not big on the, oh, she's sentimental towards him just because, again, we're led to believe that this continuity, it's only the third film. That's where I'll nitpick the whole, well, you're only three films in and now she's super sentimental towards Bond. Uh, Good scene, though. I do like Mallory, and I like what he will eventually end up being. Again, it's one, it's one of those things where I feel like, as you said, we can look into what Mallory's saying and says, oh, yeah, he's making a lot of sense, but because you have an affinity towards both M and Bond's characters, then you still think that he's a dick for saying that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, like it's, your, it's your emotional side taking over from the rational side of your brain, if you do take that stance your sentimentality of m and bond is blinding mm-hmm. you to the thing it works yeah yeah it's very and well I'd say the, yeah and i would say the the sentimentality nature of like m towards bond also it stretches back to before the first movie because obviously he would have been an mi6 agent before he became a 007 so i assume she's been and again like she picked him out well i'd say she picked him out but seemingly like, someone picked him out from the orphanage and stuff like that so she's probably known him since <laughs> a teenager almost yeah, I'm picturing him being like some. I want that one. <laughs> some thirty year old and just being like, "That one's cute." <laughs> yeah. So Patrice is going to be in Shanghai, and uh, and all them they pass the information along. Bond says that he's going to terminate him for Ronson with pleasure. Which we get back later on, and it turns out that Bond didn't pass the tests. M lied, bitch. <laughs> So M is being shown to almost be, remember in the very beginning when she said I have balls of steel, like now she's just showing, yeah, I'll fucking lie. I'll do whatever I have to do to, to get what I need done. You know, your life means nothing to me. The truth means nothing to me. Getting my job done is all that matters. Now I'm picturing her from that part in Golden Eye of, uh, kill him. He means nothing to me. <laughs> Bond heads to check out some artwork and a young man sits down next to him and just starts talking about how old the ship in the painting is metaphor for Bond, of course. And he's like, well, you know, what do you see? And Bond says a bloody big ship. See you later. (laughs) Turns out that this guy is the new quartermaster. He's the new Q and they don't have a great relationship. He calls him out for still having acne. And being just too young for the part. Q points out he can do more damage with a laptop than uh, and in his pajamas than Bond can do with his gun. But hey, you know, sometimes the trigger needs to be pulled. And Bond says, or not pulled. Which I like. He's learned he doesn't have to just kill everybody. Show some growth. Yeah. Yeah. How dare this little kid with his computer and his knowledge of the internet <laughs> tell him 
kids these yeah. days with their pajamas and their laptops and their rap music. <laughs> and they're hipping and they're hopping. <laughs> they're bipping and they're bopping. They don't even know what the jazz is all about. <laughs> oh, oh, Ten points if we get the reference. There's two, there's two good counterpointing lines in particular. Age is no guarantee of efficiency, and youth is no guarantee of innovation. Mm-hmm. So I love the fact that they have that little stand-up as well. But then as soon as, like, Bond says, like, he says, like, sometimes a trigger needs to be pulled, and Bond says to not be pulled, as well as being, like, a moment of growth for Bond, it also just, like, a moment of, that's just, like, a quartermaster or Q or anything like that, and says Bond, and they shake, and they shake each other's hands. So they have a mutual respect immediately because they basically went toe to toe uh verbally with each other yeah they had a little bit of a dick measuring contest and it's like all right i respect you i respect you we work together kind of thing q hands him a ticket to shanghai and a box and inside is a walther ppk not the p99 so we're going back and there's also a grip that has a sensor and only bond can fire it there's also a little radio transmitter the size of a postage stamp bond says well it's not exactly christmas is it and q says maybe my least favorite line in the movie were you expecting an exploding pen we don't really go in for that anymore so here's another one of my criticisms First off, they had a smaller homing beacon in Goldfinger. So why is it now, decades later, you have him carrying around something that's bigger? Innovation. You can't even, like, it's it's fake. Make it to where it's smaller. You had a the tracking chip in Bond's arm no, that was smaller. The, the, the deal now is that oh, look at the reality of what we're able to do and like a, a real spy would just carry around this stuff because you know we don't need to go into those wacky exploding pens anymore and my second issue you already did the fingerprint gun thing and license to kill and you have the balls to act like you're above the exploding pen and goldeneye one of the best gadgets that people love that's the one you're going to make fun of when you can't even come up with a single gadget on your own and you have to do a lesser version of two previous films? Come on. If you're going to make fun of something, make fun of one of the dumb ones. Go like, oh, what are you expecting? A fucking crocodile submarine? Don't make fun of the good ones. And well, don't be like, oh, we're so above it, so we're just going to copy things that we did already. You couldn't have thought of anything different. Well, you could also look at it like a schneid piece of shit kid thinking that he's so much better than his predecessors that happens every day those kids i look at it i look at it more like you have to take it from the perspective of the fact that there's probably they probably marketed this to people that don't know there was ever a, a crocodile submarine that's fair too so if you said oh he's facing a, a crocodile submarine it's just like why did he say crocodile submarine whereas people like offhand know the exploding pen reference because it's been mocked and lampooned in British comedy for decades and decades and decades. So like that's a reference that everyone can get straight away. It's like, oh that's a that's a Bond trope. So I think that's the reason they went for it rather than being like, oh they didn't why didn't they choose a better gadget to go with? Because well, they assume that most people watching this 
don't know the old Bond gadgets. I would have replaced that with, if you want to have the line, which I don't think you need to do the whole, like, we're not doing gadgets anymore thing to begin with. We already talked about that before. But if you're going to have it, I would have replaced it with, oh, I'm just going to pull the invisible car out back for you. To be like, ah, die another day, that one sucked. Because that's only two movies ago. Yeah, but it sounds like you're just taking it personally because it's GoldenEye and that's your favorite. It's a little bit, because it's like, well, that's the one that made the series come back. And you're acting like you're above it now. And, I don't know, maybe have a little bit of reverence to the thing that saved the series. Yeah, but it's been nearly 20 years. It seems fair that that that's far enough away that that was the beginning of Brosnan and still modern enough that most people watching might get it. I do really like that they get a call back to the old films where he says, and please return the equipment in one piece. <laughs> At least he's picked that up. Well, again, I'll, I'll just say for the record, when, when you're referencing the exploding pen, people were referencing the exploding pen decades before Goldeneye in comedy and stuff like that. So it's like, it's just one of those things that people just assume that Bond always had an exploding pen. Is that no. why they ended up giving it to him in Goldeneye? Probably. Like, here, here's your exploding pen. Yeah, but that probably was like a little reference thing. But it's just like one of those things, like the, oh, like I'm trying to think of other things. Like I, I guess like this is a bit more like traditional spy thing, but using like invisible ink and stuff like that, or yeah, but the, the like the exploding pen has always been, or like a laser pen or something to that effect. It's always been some sort of pen that has that can do something. It's always been like. A trope of oh, that's what like a Bond style spy would have. I will say the Ghetto Blaster is undefeated. No <laughs> knock on the Ghetto Blaster. <laughs> Something for the Americans. So Shanghai gets a pretty boisterous introduction with the music and all. It's just sort of like that's Shanghai ah, kind of thing. <laughs> um, Bond swims around a little bit, poses as a chauffeur, uh, sh- chauffeur, chauffeur. Why did I say it like that? Chauffeur at the airport. And uh, I like that he's just kind of there checking out to try to see where Patrice is. Good track in the score for this part. I'm not a big fan of the score for this film because uh, it's Thomas Newman, but Thomas Newman does great work you know, in plenty of other films. But I wish that David Arnold had returned. I think that, that would have been better. And this is one of the few pieces of music in the film that I really, really like. While he's following Patrice, he, uh, he watches him shoot the lobby guy, and he opts to grab the bottom side of the elevator. So we're going to test out his ability to do the pull-ups and everything, because you drop, you die. Which is cool, because it's like, well, we just saw that he can't really do that. Let's see if he can do it now where he needs to. Very well done. I have no idea how it works. I don't know how he gets like up once he's like, you know, the elevator stops. I don't know how he does that, but they just like cut, you know, you're not supposed to really care. Yeah, well, because that that's not working in real life. <laughs> yeah. And then that leads to this cool set in this building where there's all this glass reflecting and this blue jellyfish light. I love the visuals in this. Yeah, just a like an abandoned office building with like loads of glass rooms that you'd assume 
would be filled if it was like but i assume the that part of the office has been either up for rent or something like that and so it's just completely empty at this point in time and so they picked that spot and it's beautifully silhouetted by the the um like billboard lights and stuff like that outside of the um just in the in the wider shanghai uh build like uh cityscape then that uh leads into bond checking out patrice watching somebody get assassinated by patrice uh and it leads to a fight sequence. Really good fist fight. Then kicks and, you know, gunshots and stuff. It's mostly a fist fight, but the cool visuals, the the action itself is one of the better fist fights, I think, in the series. Yeah, I love the fact that it's like silhouetted and then it's just occasionally lit up by whether it's like is there a gunshot going off or just a light shining in from through one of the billboards and stuff like that. But other than that, it's just like pitch black and you just see them brawling with each other and it's just yeah it looks really physical and yeah i I, I love the fact that it's like it seems to, it all takes place i think it was in like one take or just like in one continuous shot not or at least not fluctuating from that very often or anything like that so it just felt very i was like real but it felt very well put together in that regard So Patrice never says a line in the movie. Yeah, I don't care yeah, about the henchmen. Yeah, well, it's just like I'm saying that is a case like, oh, they should give their henchmen more characters. It's just like, no, don't, I don't. Like, I'm okay with henchmen just being henchmen, just bodies for Bond to deal with, essentially along the way. I do think that we could have gotten a better henchman kind of deal, where maybe because nobody's going to remember Patrice, and you know, compare him to like Odd Job. Yeah, it's not perfect. But, yeah, but I thought he had some of the best action in the whole series. Yeah, yeah. In, in this case, it, like you, you transition from henchmen that are kind of, I, I guess, characters to henchmen that are forgettable. No, no, I don't say. I don't. I don't think they're forget. I, I mean, I think that they're there to make memorable scenes rather than to make memorable characters. I think you tweak it a little bit. It could be a lot better. I'm not expecting Patrice to have, you know, ham in it seen up with like, you know, a bunch of dialogue and stuff. But to me, Patrice falls short of, you know, we have, we've had Boris, we've had Jaws and Oddjob and Mayday and like, uh, you know, great henchmen. He's nowhere near even the middle range for henchmen to me, but he has a great fist fight and uh, he doesn't tell Bond even, you know, who's he working for, who has the list. He doesn't say anything. He just goes, ah, when he's falling. And we get to see him falling, which is neat. I know they count him like that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that counts over there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was good to see him fall. I, more, more interesting about that really was that um, Bond had no intention of dropping him. Just his arm gave out. Yeah. Different than when... Uh, in Live and Let Die, or not Live and Let Die, in Spy Who Loved Me, when he just literally knocks him out and uh, Sandor just falls. What a helpful chap. And Bond meets eyes with the beautiful woman in the room that the guy had been assassinated. We'll get to meet her a little bit later on. He also sees a coin for a casino in Patrice's stuff. So that's you know, the next lead to, to go into. M gets another message on her computer. Five agents are posted on YouTube, so their covers are blown. That's going to suck. 
And it's not going to end anytime soon because five more will be released every single week. And once again, it says, think on your sins. So Again, there's like, the thing that I love about that, or the way that that's like the main thing they're trying to recapture at the moment, is that it just feels so real. And that makes it scary. It's a lot yeah. more real than some of the stuff we've had in the series beforehand, where it's like, all right, there's not going to be a guy pulling the Atlantis stuff unless you're Elon Musk. And then, uh, you Even know, a lot of the Blofeld stuff, like I've got a pen, I've got, I've got a poison in the shoe where you just stab somebody with it. Like nobody's really going around doing that stuff. This was all completely believable. Or the Gustav Graves, you know, I've got this suit that I can electrify people with, and it also controls my satellite that can, you know, it's just like, no, this guy's a hacker. And he's just like, yep, here goes five. So Bond gets ready to shave with a straight razor, which I'm never going to do. He's joined by Eve. She says Q is afraid of flying, and Bond says, of course he is. (laughs) Just kind of like... Uh, I like that. And Eve decides to shave Bond. Uh, I like that she says that he's putting his life in her hands again. Because, of course, you know, you can get nicked with that kind of thing. Straight razors are sharp as all hell. Look at uh, what Mr. Blonde does. Very uh, sexual tension type of scene. Yes. It's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. They have, they shared some flight banter, but in between that, they're also talking about Mallory as well because Bond recognized the fact that she's there, basically spying on Bond on behalf mm-hmm. of Mallory, and like Mallory's ties to turn that like he's not as bad as Bond makes him out to be, and Bond basically recalls his entire history because that's what Bond does. That's yeah, that that's never gone away. <laughs> Lepidoptery and everything. <laughs> Lieutenant Colonel, yeah, still, you know, he's been part of this. Only makes coffee. Yeah. So. Here's a weird bit of trivia. Uh, she says that there's more to gallery than meets the eye, which is the tagline for the Transformers series. Funny enough, mm-hmm. there's a se- uh, character in the series named Skyfall. Huh. Kind of weird. Yes. <laughs> The Bond Transformers crossover coming before or after the Fast and the Furious. <laughs> Jurassic Park. <laughs> it's actually going to be all four combined. Bond is going to track a car, whatever the fuck they do in the Fast and Furious things. So he's going to have to team up with Dom and they're going to track it over to one of the dinosaur Transformers. <laughs> yeah, and at the end of the day, Tony, it's about family. It's all about family. Anyway, this whole old dog, new tricks, shaving thing, it's debated. Do they or do they not? Fuck. They fuck. They totally fuck. I I left that scene thinking, oh, wow. Okay, they fuck. Because there's nothing that directly, like, he doesn't, you know, ask for the stationery or something. like. (laughs) Yes, because that is the direct way of knowing that there is sexual activity going on there was the fireworks the fireworks kind of imply that a little bit and yeah it's kind of like it's up for debate 
it's not a guarantee one way or the other. And that's why people have the debate. They go, oh, they, they clearly fucked. And other people are like, no, you're reading too much into it. They didn't fuck. They're not, you know, whatever. I lean a little bit more towards that they did. Which is awesome. I would say, personally, for the reveal towards the end of the movie, to me, whether they did or didn't is irrelevant. I choose to believe they didn't. There's an argument for both. And... Do you choose to believe that because of the reveal at the end? Yep. Fair enough. Well, what's wrong with Bond fucking Blofeld? (laughs) Imagine if that was the case. (laughs) Blofeld got hot. (laughs) Mr. Bond! We got a cool shot of Bond on the boat heading to the casino. Like that. I like that at the casino. One of the very first things that he does is he tells Money Penny, "Don't touch your ear." He's learning. He's always learning. It's that whole thing with uh, Carter was his name, I think. Yeah. He's just like, stop yeah, touching your ear. Spoilers. You just said Eve's last name. Yeah. <laughs> Either way. Where to go, Tony? Uh, yeah, you, if you haven't seen the movie, you're listening to this. I mean, what the hell? Uh, Bond cashes in the chips clearly it's a symbol for something more and wouldn't you know the beautiful woman from the assassination scene is there and Bond is given a briefcase filled with cash because there's shady business going down and the woman walks over gives, uh, asks him to buy her a drink and they chat up a bit he says the Bond James Bond lying thankfully she introduces herself as Severine love the name that's a name that's a very like Bond girl without being stupid and silly with the, the pussy galore, a lot of vagina, whatever types of... It's like Severine. Okay, yeah. You meet somebody named Severine, she's going to be this like bombshell French seductress type of thing. It's not going to be like, hi, my name's Severine, and you're like... Ugh. <laughs> you from Alabama? <laughs> <laughs> like, what hole did you crawl out of, Severine? Like, you know? Oh, I guess probably at this point, people watched the movie and named their kids Severine, and then, you know... Got some ugly ones out there. Eve calls her pretty. If you like that sort of thing. Which is like, ah, you're jealous. (laughs) Kind of like, you know. She's very pretty for a lady. (laughs) (laughs) We see Bond uh, served a shaken martini and he just says, perfect. Because, ha subvert the line kind of thing. Which, I don't mind all that much. It, it bugs me when they do it in a lot of different other ways and stuff, but eh, sometimes it's just kind of fun. And uh, she point, he points out that she has a backless dress and a Beretta strapped to her thigh. She knows he's carrying a Walther. So it's kind of like, all right, a little tit for tat sort of thing. Bond's got the tat. And uh, he asks her uh, to give the meeting with her employer. But she's uh, scared, clearly. And he points out, you keep looking at your bodyguards. They're not protecting you. They're controlling you. Good little twist. Thumbs up. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's interesting because obviously she comes across very, I don't want to say empowered, but she comes across as like very in control, very much the typical, okay, she's the femme fatale character. Mm-hmm. 
in this movie. And then it just crumbles around her when Bond basically, I would say accuses her, but basically just reveals her entire story of the fact that she was a, she used to be a prostitute. And so it meant that like she was essentially, basically she's been put into this. She fell in love with who we'll find out later on and stuff like that. And then it led to a life that she wishes that she could get away from, but she's now under the thumb of these people and she can't get away from it. And she has to pretend to, put on this act it's great to see the act crumble too because she goes from uber confident and like you know oh you've got the wather and you're uh you're this type of guy and this whatever and once he's just kind of like you're a product of the sex trade and this is whatever and you're whatever then she just kind of goes can you kill him <laughs> you know like uh, can you save me from this and I like that bond says well somebody usually dies <laughs> It's a little foreboding, though. Uh, she says that the bodyguards are going to go after him when she leaves. But hey, if you survive, meet me at the harbor. Or I'm at this dock, you know, whatever, that kind of thing. And I like that Bond just salutes the bodyguards with his drink. Like, well, we're going to do this. So, <laughs> yeah. He's never always with, with that stuff. Yeah. Uh, nah. Like, you know, I know. Smack you with the briefcase. <laughs> Fight on the fight on the bridge, smack each other around a little bit, and then fall into a Komodo dragon pit, which is amazing. I think it's probably. Uh, would you think it was like a? Um, considering what happens in the Komodo dragon pit, they, it was like a real, um, I guess, creative decision to put the fat guy in it with him. All things considered, this is a pointless fight scene. I mean, it's, they really it's don't. A I guess you don't, but like you've got his um, like she's been following around with his bodyguards, and she explained to him that the bodyguards going to deal with him afterwards. So you get this again. It's not like I don't. I say like it's like pointless or anything like that. But at the end of the day, if she's been trapped by bodyguards and they explain the situation about why, then it's only natural that the bodyguards going to be try and beat him up afterwards. I wouldn't have minded. I mean, I. I like when movies have like as much of the content as they think that they want to need. Um, but I wouldn't have minded necessarily a cut where after he salutes the guards, then we just cut away and it's just sort of like, Oh, I wonder what happened there. Cause I don't really like the Komodo dragon thing. I think it's dumb. And circle of life. Since the fingerprint thing is just a factor in this. And I don't think it's really all that big of a deal. And we've already seen it in another movie with the license to kill. I don't think you need it to be able to do the fingerprint gun, which also didn't make any sense because they had to CGI Daniel Craig's hands. He had bought gloves and he wore them in the scene. And only after they filmed it, did they go, Oh, wait a minute. If he has gloves on, how would it know that it's his hand? We have to CGI that and we have to make it look like it's his hand. So his hands look weird in the scene. So that's just, it's flawed. The Komodo dragon looks dumb. I, I, I don't like it. I think you could kind of cut that if you needed to. Well, I, I think, honestly, this is one of those. It's not as nitpicky as the gun barrel is too pointy, but this seems pretty nitpicky. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like, I didn't, I didn't mind it. Again, I don't think it's like super necessary in any regards. I just feel like, it's really one of the things that's ever missing from the Bond series, which is the 
um, character being dragged away off screen into the darkness screaming. But like <laughs> that's something that loads of other movie franchises have, but the Bond series hasn't happened till now. But you can take that off the list. Oh, and uh, one of the extras in the background is the brother of the guy who played Fukutu in Casino Royale. A lot of people think that it's Fukutu. That's his brother. That's just one of those things. Severine's disappointed. Bond didn't show up by the time that they cast off. Uh, she looks really, really good with her hair down. That's her best look in the film, I think. Uh, I have a note about that. And then when she's in the shower, Bond just inexplicably walks in. And they have sex, and it's a it's a little uncomfortable knowing that she was in the sex trade and all. But you're not really supposed to think about it. <laughs> I mean, I think that there was like the, that flirtation earlier. And I know it's like the idea of that stuff. But then again, she did invite him onto the thing if he survives it. So mm-hmm. there's I, an I implication of uh, consent. Yeah, I know. So, yeah, and it, again, it's. Like anything that's not like actual direct consent is still you shouldn't you shouldn't act on in reality. But I think there's enough context there that we shouldn't feel creeped out by it. It's certainly not as bad as like some of the other things we've seen. And and, and we see also like when she's upset that Bond hasn't arrived, she's upset and she had prepared like drinks and everything like that. So she was she she was waiting for this essentially. So so I don't feel super bad about it. And it's kind of sad, though, that somebody that was in the sex trade is at a point where that's kind of her only bargaining chip for some things, that's you true. know? Yeah, that's true. Well, yeah, I don't know. It's, it is uncomfortable, but I think there's enough to show that she she invited it, so it's not, like, uncomfortable. Like, the one where more lies to the solitaire. <laughs> Yeah, like yeah, <laughs> that's right. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so then uh, we switch over to um, some information that three of the MI6 agents have been killed. People think that the organization is antiquated and they they can't keep working in the shadows. They keep you going back to the shadows thing. M thinks the total opposite. She thinks that the villain is somebody from within this kind of organizational structure. And the boat heads off to this island, which is totally abandoned, almost as if it had been hit by a nuclear bomb. And the result of that is the villain himself making people think that there was this nuclear fallout and that they just dropped everything and abandoned it. He just wanted the villain, uh, the island for himself as a base. Mm. And it looks so cool. Yeah, yeah, it's very much... um... Yeah, yeah, as you say, it's very much like the nuclear fallout type of abandoned, just completely desolate feel. It seems like something that you'd see in like The Walking Dead or in just any sort of like um, what post um, yeah yeah post apocalypse style movie. Obviously, it's just a guy's island. It's just like oh yeah, I just uh, it's just like saying like yeah, he just uh, forced everyone out, boy. Um, by saying there was some sort of nuclear issue and stuff like that, he just said, "Yeah, just because, just because he wanted the island, doesn't care about anybody else that was living there at the time." <laughs> that's, that again, that's a good uh, prelude to the villain. We also shouldn't overlook the fact that 
essentially um, when Severin and Bond are on the boat, Severin says, oh, we, we could just turn back now. And Bond just looks over his shoulder and he sees that all the guards are armed behind them and says, like, yeah, I don't think that's going to be happening. But he also, at this point, he turns on his radio transmitter as well. Yeah. The one that anybody should have been able to see him do, but, you know. That's going to come into play in a little bit. And we're introduced to our villain in a long shot of him walking toward Bond in this big server room. And it's Kevin Spacey. At least in a different uh, reality, because he was offered the part. But he had to turn it down due to scheduling conflicts. So in a different world, it's Kevin Spacey walking toward the camera. I think this is better. Same here. Yeah, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, th- I think that this uh, iteration of the character is an improvement on what Spacey would have done. I think Spacey might have hammed it up too much. I think Spacey, before his career completely crumbled, when he was still just regarded as like one of the absolute best actors that's ever existed, could have been an amazing Blofeld. I agree with that statement. And this guy's not Blofeld, so, you know. (laughs) Instead, he's Raul Silva, played by Javier Bardem. And he tells a story about how his grandmother took care of this rat problem by trapping the rats, and they eventually got to the point where they were starving, so they cannibalized each other, and that gave them a taste for rat instead of coconut. So you let them out, they only eat rat. Cool story. Yeah, you immediately just get the sense of, oh my god, who, who who's Bond dealing with right now? <laughs> but, but yeah, it's just it's not like it's anything. With, it's malicious, but it's nothing like at that moment in time that he's done to humans or anything like that. It's not like he's gone on like a a massive killing spree or anything like that. But he just like again, he's just it shows his mindset going into this, and it's an analogy that follows the thread of the rest of the movie. So, Javier Bardem is currently filming for the role of King Triton in the live-action Little Mermaid? Huh. That's that's quite the fit, but I think he is phenomenal in this role. The story about the rats is one of those that just makes you go, oh, what a sadistic bastard, and I love him. You know, like, you just Right away, you're like, okay, this is a Bond villain. That's his, like, he has more than one, but that's his monologue of, like, his character moment, in a way. And it's his introduction, so it's a great introduction for that. He mentions that he and Bond are the two survivors, like the rats. He gives a little bit of a backstory. He used to be M's favorite, Hong Kong, 86 to 97. And Silva explains that M lied to Bond about the marksmanship score. The psychologist didn't clear him for duty. Uh, He brings up on the computer his information, alcohol and substance addiction, pathological rejection of authority based on unresolved childhood trauma. He says, mommy was very bad. Mom. It's head cannon. I don't care. You're going to beat that drum to the very end, are we? I'm always going to believe that that's the thing. I don't care. It makes me like it better. It's kind of like me thinking that the lyrics are different. Of uh, I'm going to blank on the the 
that's why I never dies. It's like, nope. But that's what it is. I don't care. Um, but of course, that's a theme of this anyway, so it applies. And Silva unbuttons Bond's shirt and starts checking out his gunshot scar and kind of uh, starts hitting on Bond about... Uh, supposed to be like an uneasiness of, you know, like this homosexuality type of a thing. And he says, well, what's the regulation to cover this? You know, first time for everything, sort of. And Bond says... <laughs> What makes you think that this is my first time? And he just goes, oh, Mr. Bond. People went nuts for this. this <laughs> They're like, is confirmation the, yeah. Bond is by uh, like, you know. Yeah, this is, the, this is the scene that launched a thousand fan fiction. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> People just go, as soon as I go home, I'm just starting to type up the first time that Bond... <laughs> Bond got the show. They, they just went on crazy writing stories about Bond with Silva. Yeah. Like, yeah, just, just who the fault that, like, okay, this movie is what made James Bond a gay icon. <laughs> <laughs> Start seeing, like, lists of, like, well, look, if Bond fucked any of the guys in the series, who would he fuck? And so he got something with Felix, you know, like, that kind of thing. Uh, Bond's clearly had a threesome at some point. Bond's would have. Well, that would make a lot more sense as to why Della was just, you know, (laughs) kissed him on the mouth. Oh, that was the rules of the uh, the wedding, right? You know, Uh, as she explains, you know, it's uh, customary for her to fuck Bond at a wedding. (laughs) Yeah, people went crazy for this line, and of course, some people went crazy in other ways. They're just kind of like, Bond can't be gay. I don't. It's like, oh, he's not gay with this. Come on. They're not turning Bond into, you know, that the next Bond girl is going to be the next Bond guy and it's going to somehow affect your life and whatever. Like, relax, you know. Well, the writing is on the wall. <laughs> but sometimes it's the idea that he has to do anything to complete a mission. So it probably had to be in his dream that he's had to seduce a guy before. Probably, yeah. And, you know, he knows how to seduce people. So. Even still, even if there's no truth to it whatsoever, he's playing into the opposite of the hand of just like, you think that this is going to intimidate me? It's not. I say what you want about the uh, magic penis, but it's not prejudiced in any way. Yeah. It takes all comers <laughs> and it comes in all takers. <laughs> <laughs> you beat me to it. As soon as you said it, I was going to jump on that. <laughs> the line, I mean, not you jump on that. Magic <laughs> penis, <God's time. laughs> Clearly isn't his first time. Preempted the other when it comes to that one, yeah. Um, Silver bullet, golden gun, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> He's got a powerful weapon. Does he charge a million a shot though? I don't know. I can't Silver basically says, ah, fuck MI6. They can do their own missions together and that'd be fun, wouldn't it? You know, you can topple a government, you can just do yeah, whatever the hell you decide to, because that's all you need is some computers and stuff, and you don't have to listen to those bureaucrats and M and all that shit. And uh Bond says, Well, everybody needs a hobby and his is resurrection. You only live twice though, so yeah. Silva takes Bond outside and Severine is determined to be redundant and she's going to be potentially eliminated. So Silva balances a shot glass on her head and he quips, whatever you do, don't lose your head. <laughs> you really like sadistic yeah. people, don't you? It's, you know, I can't be that type of guy, so I have to live my car. 
He tells Bond to shoot it off. Redeem your marksmanship scores. And Bond misses entirely. So Silva just goes ahead and shoots her and says, I win. What do you say about that? Well, he he wins because obviously he shoots her in the gut and then she leans forward and the scotch hits the floor. So she's like, oh, I broke the glass, I win. (laughs) Wasted the scotch, killed the girl. Yeah, Bond says that's a waste of good scotch. Ouch! Yeah, that's the bond. That's the bond line, though. He's like, he has to just put the shield back up. Yeah. We're Severine, man. Yeah, I, I felt so sorry for her in this movie. And that's, like, one of the best traits you can get from, like, the, the sacrificial lamb bond girl. Well, they certainly couldn't do that to Money Penny. Who? <laughs> you spoiled it already. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Plus, everybody's already seen the movie. If you didn't, again, that's crazy. We'll just uh, spoil that Money Penny is uh, actually Q. It turns out that Bond has backup. Conveniently pops up just, you know, the perfect timing for the scene. But of course, it's a movie. So, you know, like, I forget. I'm not uh, on camera right now. I just did the uh, pretend jerk off in the air motion. <laughs> like, <laughs> so shut up. It's a movie, you know. Silver's captured and that's it. Nope. One of my favorite lines in the whole movie. Latest thing from Q Branch. A radio. <laughs> Just like, yeah, we got you with a radio, you bitch. <laughs> so he's uh he's in custody and you know the world's saved and the end credits pop up and 007 will return inspector. Yeah, quick movie. Yeah, everybody. Very good though. Quick movie. Yeah. All right, shaking. See ya. <laughs> but of course, we get to see that Silva is in full Hannibal Lecter mode with his glass prison cell. And he has this exchange with M. He explains that he was tortured for five months. Not as much as Bond, diner of the day, but whatever. He was keeping track. And he decided eventually that he was just going to take his cyanide pill. Now that is something that if you watch the previous films, that means so much more. Because five months... Silva takes the cyanide pill. Bond's tortured for 14 months. And he's like, no, I threw that shit away. Just goes to show you the difference between the two of them. Yep. And Silva shouldn't have done it. Because it burned his insides and left him disfigured. And he's got this prosthetic from his mouth that's gross. Real gross. Yeah, it's both it's both replacing his teeth and also propping up his his cheeks because otherwise his eye lid is well his his eyeball almost like pop out of his head. I I love the uh, effects they put together for that. Yeah, that's really good. I like the sound too because it's just all like and you're just like ah, that's yeah. He said that life clung to him like a disease. And he was wondering, you know, if it's a karma, it's destiny, whatever kept him alive, he realizes now it's so that he could look M into the eye again and get his revenge. She reveals that uh, his name, and it, it, I like how she does this. She just tells Bond without even being prompted. She turns around and she says, his name was Tiago Rodriguez. He started hacking the Chinese beyond his orders and she eventually gave him up in exchange for some other agents. Bond doesn't ask. Mm. 
she tells him and it's like a kind of guilty conscience sort of thing, but it's a matter of her wanting to absolve herself of her sins and explain the bond so he doesn't get the wrong opinion and think poorly about her in reflection to himself because they're on rocky ground right now. But she's just like, no, he was with this kind of thing. And this is what happened. This is why I'm justifying my actions in the past. Bond didn't even have to ask. She knew that she needed to fill him in on that. Well, I kind of took that as she trusts him. So, hey, I'm going to tell you because you can handle this. You know, this is what I did. That's the way I took it. Any other takeaways from that? Um, I wouldn't say it's like it's any interpretation that's any different from yours. I'd say, I feel that's probably that's probably, probably the way it would go down. It's just to me, it's just yeah, and he's trying to both clear her conscience about this entire thing. Maybe also she just feels like well, my essentially Bond is she knows Bond is going to ask her, so might, might as well just get it over why and just turn around and tell him before he has a chance to even ask her. So it could be one of it. It could be either one of those approaches, or both. Either one. Yeah, or both. Yeah. There's then a series of intercut sequences. Q Branch is trying to break into the laptop. Em and Tanner and Mallory and others are having this meeting about all these recent security breaches. And it turns out that the laptop was a Trojan horse, and now Q has unintentionally opened up the doorway for Silva to have completely hacked into their systems and orchestrate his escape. Uh, Q's got a little mug. That's a Q mug. I think it's that's cute. And um, Bond tries to chase after Silva through the subway and all. It's not really like an action sequence. It's more like another slow chase sort of thing, but it's, it's kind of neat. And this is another one of those things that's like, ah, shut up, it's a movie. But whenever there are things that are like this in movies, there's always part of me that goes, oh, come on, nobody can literally pull off every single moment at the exact same time that needs to happen and guess multiple people's precise movements at that exact moment. But suspension of disbelief. Fuck you for thinking about there the are cards. psychopaths that absolutely can. It's a whole can... Joker dark Knight thing. It's like, Oh, I planned for the thing to go wrong. And then the thing to set up the other thing. And then that to like set up 1% that. And then of people can do this, but I believe that there is a sick 1% of people who can absolutely do this. Ultimately, you're supposed to just have fun because it's a movie, you know? To hell with your fun. I'll leave when the job's done. <laughs> <laughs> no real notes for me about this uh, other than that I like that when Bond jumps on the train, the one guy's like, oh, he's keen to go home. <laughs> uh, that's that's, that's like one of those little fun lines that you get from like the more movies where it's just, um, it's, it's just a, I think it's a more sophisticated interpretation of the guy dropping his wine glass or something like that or the double take pigeon yeah something something on those lines <laughs> wouldn't it be great but, if the pigeon was in there that wouldn't it? <laughs> no because they were mean to that little pigeon that pigeon's long dead by now anyway but um any guys uh any guys any notes you guys have for the whole train kind of sequence um is you have to is it before should is it before they get in the tunnels or after they get in the tunnels even then, the only the thing that I have for the tunnel part is that I don't like the train crashing. Um, I think it's a the train crashing thing is not again it's not the most super realistic thing 
in the world. It's like oh. a, um, as you say, it might be like that one in a million shot. It's like, oh, that's the plane landing on the Hudson or something like that. He managed to keep the the train intact while falling across it. So it is a bit, it is a bit, jo- I would say jokey, but a bit gimmicky. But again, it's a it's a movie and it's a Bond movie at that. So I'm kind of, even though this is a more sophisticated Bond movie and you wouldn't expect to see stuff like that in there, I guess it's okay to dip into that, the world of, I would say fantasy, a bit of like anti-reality to see that stuff happen. Other than that, like the most um, uh, interesting part of the whole uh, chase for me was um, after Bond, obviously jumping on the train itself, was um, then sliding down the, es- the escalator. <laughs> that was like, good. Like two kids going down there at the things like that who haven't paid for their ticket or anything like that. Yeah. Always wanted to I do something like that. I also enjoyed that Bond couldn't open the door. And he said, oh, fuck, great, there's a train coming. Like, and he just barely makes it out of the way. And, and then Q says, well, you should be able to open it. Open it. It's like, and he shoots him multiple times. And he's like, there, see, told you. Just like, just like not even thinking like, oh, you, you just had to twist the handle a little bit more rather than just like actually shoot it open. This is a very realistic cue. I can see this person actually existing where they're very good on the tech side of things and they just assume that the blunt instrument should be able to do anything at the snap of their fingers. Yeah, like, I mean, you can't open up a door. Just put your back into it, you know. Ram your shoulder in. You're the you're the brute. Learn how to pull the trigger, you know. I like uh, M's speech that's intercut with this. Yes. She points out that it's scary that the enemies nowadays aren't really just, like, entire countries. They're random people in the shadows. And How real is that, by the way? That's a hundred percent the way that yeah. things are. It's it used to be like those damn commies, and nowadays those it's just sort Russian of like commies, and now it's like, oh, this one dude from his bedroom mm-hmm. just hacked the the entire and fucked the entire economy. Like some random guy at a you know at a movie theater shoots up the place, and this person does this, and that guy's uh, anonymous is on the internet, and you know it's just kind of. It's the whole shadows thing that she says. And she's right. She reads a piece of poetry that her uh, late husband is kind of um, inspirational toward, which there you go. It's established that uh, he's passed on. RIP, Mr. Mansfield. Again, it kind of adds to the fact that there's been a distance of time between this and Casino Royale. So she reads her poem and Silva bursts in and starts shooting up the place. And he hesitates for just a second to savor shooting M or to confront the idea of like, oh, my God, do I actually want to kill her kind of thing? Like, it's it's something that's like, wow, you've got a gun to the person that you want to kill. Maybe you don't. Maybe you do. And it's just enough time for Mallory to jump in front of the bullet. That was not the sound effect of Mallory jumping no, in front of not. the bullet, but that was like so <laughs> perfect on that. Just burn. <laughs> <laughs> so this bond, uh, Eve and Mallory shoot out with silver. It's pretty cool. I like it a lot. Yeah. But then even in the odds gradually, because it's just originally just bond shooting from the side a bit. And then he passes the gun over to, to Eve and then Mallory gets hold of one from as well and then there's just like okay you kind of get a sense of okay these are the three going forward almost it's like it's obviously Bond but like these two are going to be 
constituent players going forward. Making progressive switches up of like Mallory gets consistently better and better and better throughout the film where you're like, ah, this guy. And then you're like, ah, that guy. But I kind of get it. And you're like, ah, he's not that bad of a guy. And, you know, they do a really great job with Mallory in this film. It's one of my favorite parts. Hmm. And uh, Bond's able to get M out of there. They drive off, and his plan is to take her away and basically stop other people from getting in the mix because this is a personal feud. She could be the bait. Yeah, yeah. So like using using her to draw as bait, and like basically that's an interesting take because Emma's used. I, I guess the perspective is that Emma's used other agents as bait in the past as well. It's like oh, now she's in that position. And she seems to just take it in her stride as she typically does. And then Bond asks Q to make them like to disappear off the grid entirely and then leave a trail of breadcrumbs that only Silver could decipher because Silver is obviously a, a master hacker. But they obviously don't want anyone else potentially finding them while they're out there as well. And uh, one of the next things that they need to do is they need to switch to a different car because all these cars have tracking systems and stuff in them. So where do they go? The storage unit with Bond's stuff and his personal Aston Martin DB5, which gets the distinction of the Bond theme for its introduction. I like it. I like that Bond also teases that he is going to flip the ejector seat. (laughs) Yeah, when she's complaining about the ride. Yeah. And I'm just like, go ahead, do it. I don't care. (laughs) You're not going to eject me. Yeah. It, it, it's such a good, they have such good chemistry with each other which again calls back that idea of like well are we trying to imply that Goldfinger happened to this bond um because he's got the car see ejector seat yeah um, I, again maybe it's a little bit of over the top fan service in that regards but it is just like to me it's just a little nod because i i wouldn't be surprised if bond had just like a db5 because it's a beautiful car anyway the fact that it has an ejector seat probably just is a again and, and obviously don't all of these cars come with ejector seats uh no but i guess no not a db5 not a stand db5 or anything like that but <laughs> that's I, optional I that, like seat warmers yeah maybe it's something that like ev had commissioned from a q branch earlier and stuff like that and that's like the the argument behind it but realistically it's just a bit of fan service yeah it's uh have your cake and eat it too it's um for a franchise that is at this time and still kind of saying we're all uh past that kind of stuff and you know we're not doing it the way that we used to they go but remember all the great stuff that we used to do it, you know and people go ah it's the car you know it's a fun little moment I like that Q, Tanner, and Mallory all in it together for the breadcrumbs thing. And uh, it's another one of those just like, this guy's all right for Mallory. Like, he's willing to bend things a little bit too and add another point towards the Mallory score. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. are Bond and M heading? Scotland. What's in Scotland? Skyfall. What's Skyfall? Done. <laughs> all right yeah <laughs> that's his childhood home let me tell you i love this 
It's the 50th anniversary of the series, and here we are addressing the death of his parents at his house, nonetheless. Imagine if it imagine if it's taken 50 years to explain the death of Batman's parents. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than that being the basis for every single Batman movie <laughs> ever made. I love that the house is basically like a ghost. It's empty. It's boarded up. There's sheets over the furniture and all because he was declared dead a few months ago and he has no next of kin. So the house was in his name. Clearly, they're just going to sell it. It makes perfect sense. Mm. Yeah, because yeah. he's, he's told about that boy because as they walk in and just look around the place, it's met by King Cade, the gamekeeper. He was a fun character. So originally the game plan, Sean F. and Connery was going to play this. Wow. That would have been something. That would have been it. That would have been, that would have been the right move. That would have been a mind fuck. Because <laughs> people would have been like, does that mean that that's, Bo- what? Is, is, is Bond always repeating a cycle of, Training the next Bond and dying in a climbing accident. <laughs> like, just kind of. I think that they made the right call not going with Connery, as cool as that could have potentially been, because then people would have been like, "Well, does that mean that that's actually James Bond and he's just under the name Kincaid? Is it the the code name theory? Is the whatever?" No, fuck off. That would have been awesome. Bond in this role would have been great. I also like that uh, Kincaid mishears when Bond introduces M, so he calls her Emma <laughs> for the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. That's just a cute little like, oh hey Emma, <laughs> like you know, it's almost like he's hitting on her. It's, it's like they could they could get off on the sunset together kind of thing, you know. Um, yeah, all the guns were sold out, uh, sold off, not sold out. It's not like it's their store. Uh, the only one that's left is Bond's dad's old hunting rifle and a couple sticks of dynamite and a hunting knife. They're really down to like the bare essentials here. And Kincaid's down for the fight and he calls Bond a jumped up little shit. <laughs> yeah, try and stop me, you jumped up little shit. <laughs> I like that. Uh, he also explains this priest hole in there and he says that Bond hid in there for two days when his parents had died. So for the first yeah. time, we're really getting into some of the deeper stuff about that childhood trauma for Bond. Yeah, There's the, he went in there for two days. When he came out, he was he wasn't a boy anymore. Mm-hmm. So M gets this even more than mm-hmm. she ever really knew. She gets more of an understanding of who Bond is, and then it's time for everybody to have what everyone refers to as the Home Alone sequence. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did I, yeah that, I mean that's the only reference you comes to mind when yeah. you see this until I say they concoct a bunch of plans they make bombs out of nails and shit that they have they set up some booby traps they order a lovely chief's pizza just for themselves and they tip little Nero's like some cheapskates uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people hate this I don't at all I think that it's like well just because it happens to be that Home Alone came out, they're not doing Home Alone. It's a different thing. I love Home Alone. It's my favorite Christmas movie. And it's just like, uh, you know, let's be the ragtag group. 
I don't see any issues with it whatsoever. Yeah, they've only got like they've got one weapon, one or two legitimate weapons, and then the rest of it is just stuff they have to essentially make sure the house essentially does the fighting for them. Which I don't blame them for. Yeah, fuck people who don't like this. Yeah, have a little bit of fun. And uh, we get the first true f bomb when M says, "I fucked this up, didn't I?" <laughs> now in the theater, I went, "Oh, okay." She said, "Fuck." Neat. She did. <laughs> like, I gotta take that step going forward. I'm okay. You get to have one f bomb in a PG-13 movie. I don't know why. If you say two, it's a big issue, but whatever. You know, fuck, 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 fuck. There you go. <laughs> podcast is rated r that's why i have that thing at the beginning of this but it, it's good you know it's uh you know, people talk like that i talk like that for sure and yeah instead she could have said oh i i mucked this up or i messed this up or i screwed things up or yeah, it's got more weight to it for her to just be like i really fucked things up didn't i yeah it's like you know when you're in a life or death situation you're not gonna be like oh let me let me clean it up here. Let me say, I screwed the pooch. Yeah. It's like, no, I, I, I fucked this up. Gosh darn it. <laughs> oh, gosh darn, I screwed the pooch. <laughs> or if you're uh, Bond in Diamonds or Forever, wrong pussy. <laughs> I thought you were going to go, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Silva's men storm the grounds. Bond makes good use of the Aston Martin. Shooting oh. them up. Uh, I skipped them. You want to go to? Uh, so they didn't mention the fact that like Bond said that he read uh, M's obituary of him. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot to add notes about that. Yeah. Yeah, and he said like um said like how 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 was it? And he said appalling. <laughs> and then she just replies, Yeah, I knew you'd hate it. <laughs> and uh I forget the line now that she says like well, the one part or something. He's like, Well that part's not so bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm trying to remember I'm trying uh, I had, I don't think I wrote the line down itself, but it said something that he was a bastion of British um it's either heroism or something, yeah, or, or fortitude or something like that. Some kind said, of, oh yeah, you know, I love that bit. Some compliment yeah. like that. It's just like that, that yeah. part's cool. Like, yeah. yeah, that was why. Good little back and forth there. And uh, the action sequence kicks off. You know, Kincaid shoots some people. M sets off some nail bombs. Eventually, M ends up taking a bullet. Uh, she acts like she's not been shot, and she just makes fun of how she's never been a good shot. You know. Uh, She's not really hitting a whole lot of people with her gunshot stuff, but Silva shows up with some bravado, playing music in that helicopter and lighting up the place, huh? Always got to make an entrance. Yeah. Yeah. And then it starts shooting up the sides of the house all across here as well. It's just, that's a lot of, I, I, I kind of like that. There was some really good um, just angles to be going all, just all around the building and Bond just trying to avoid it and taking a few pot shots. That's it. Just trying to keep it distracted while um, Emma and Kincaid go through the priest hole. So I have a note here that uh, the downdraft of the helicopter was powerful enough that it blew out the false teeth from having our Bardem's mouth. <laughs> That's gotta suck. Just like, what? That's not the scene where I pop my mouth out. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Eventually, Bond blows up the house. He takes out the helicopter and escapes the same way that Em and Kincaid did through the priest hole and throughout uh, to get to the chapel kind of thing. Yeah. Just the iconic line. I always hated this place before going out as well. Just making sure it just like, destroys his childhood home using um, a couple of um, couple of propane 
barrels and some dynamite that he'd taken out of the uh, shed. There goes Bond's uh, childhood up in flames. Getting rid of those demons, man. Can you imagine? Just like, fuck yeah. Literally burning your demons to the ground. Silva eventually spots a flashlight that Kincaid's using and then heads out there. We're not going to mention the fact that that the explosion of the building sends rubble into the pot, into the helicopter. And there's other, essentially what actually happens to the building is they partly explodes. The main thing that destroys it is the fucking helicopter just goes straight through the middle of it. As it does, you know. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> it's not one of those uh, cars from the previous parts of the films where they would have, you know, a stiff breeze would have blown it up. <laughs> mm. Now, for my money, I don't think you really need the sequence with the water. I think it kind of slows things down a little bit. Like, if they needed to, they could have cut that out a little bit, too. Um, but there's a whole thing with Bond uh, on top of this uh, frozen sheet of ice, and Silva has him at gunpoint. A little ding for that in the notes. And Bond shoots his way through the uh, the ice, and eventually has to get his way back up by using the uh, flare. It's a way to stall, but I think you could kind of get away with it just being that, like, Silva gets a head start. I don't think it's necessary. Yeah, it was quite, quite a violent brawl under the wall with the um, other henchman that goes in with him. But, um, because eventually he manages to choke him out and go out there and he shoots a flare out of the thing to, I guess, find either crate or find an opening. I think it's to find it. can swim back up to. Hmm? I think it's to find it because you could see that like when it lights up you can see that like there's parsh uh partially oh, yeah. kind of like open so it's like ah oh. okay that's where it is mm-hmm. silva makes it to the chapel and looks at the tombstones of bond's parents andrew bond and monique delacroix bond no code oh, name for anybody <laughs> you know it's not a code name bond drew bond yeah, it doesn't work. It doesn't work the same. Never thought that I'd be watching a Bond film heading into Skyfall because I didn't know that Skyfall was going to be, you know, his childhood home and all that other kind of stuff. And I'm like, oh wow, we've got his parents' tombstones in this movie. That's pretty fucking rad, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But again, it's the 50th anniversary. You're gonna do something like that. So hats off to them for actually going through with some of that kind of stuff. And uh, Silva's very happy about the environment they're in. He says, of course, it had to be here. It had to be this way in this chapel. He puts a gun to both of their heads and he wants M to pull the trigger to kill them both. I think that's really cool. Yeah, because obviously he he his life is a lot of suffering due to. Like obviously having to take the cyanide pill and that not killing him and instead just basically destroying his insides. And even though he's had a lot of fun doing all this stuff, his whole life's purpose has been to get his vengeance on M, but he still has that I guess affection towards her, so he thinks that the only right way to end all of this is that they both take each other out of this existence. And that she but, pulls the trigger. Yeah. Because she's the because, one that pulled the trigger to begin with, kinda. Yeah, exactly. She's the one that's always called the shots in this regard. Totally different scenario than some of the other 
finales for the villains that we've had in the past where it's like, we're going to fight over a cliff and we're going to, I don't know, fight in space and stuff. Much more personal. Very cool. But before that happens, Bond throws a knife in Silva's back. <laughs> and he just looks the like... Ni- the literal knife in the back got me. I like that he's just I- pissed. Just like, ah! Damn it! <laughs> kind of, you know. And, uh, and he, Bond he says... Tried. He's, like, walking towards him. Yeah. Bond says, last rat standing. Fucking beautiful line. <laughs> yeah, I like it. And Silva's dead. But M collapses into Bond's well, I, arms. Yeah, I like I like the fact that M initially asks like what took him so long as in like just trying to keep up with the old mm. character thing, but then immediately goes down. And she still jokes around a little bit. She says, I suppose it's too late to make a run for it. And he's like, Yeah, I'm up for it if you are. And we see Bond crying for the second time. And he's cradling her, and Kincaid just gives a look like, no. She's not making a dude. And M says, I did get one thing right. And dies. Beautiful score for the scene. Mm. Hell of a scene. Yeah, M it's... died. Yeah, it's an incredibly uh, powerful moment in the entire thing. Because even though... I guess in the grand arc of this thing, this M is only on her third movie. In total, the M character has been... Well, so like this 50 years of Bond, so this 50 years that we've had either an M character or at least an interpretation of M. And so to see one of those characters die on screen for the first time is... Yeah, it's a very significant thing, especially Judy Dench's one, which has been so synonymous with, synonymous with the series up to... In the, the last two franchises, the, the last two mini franchises within the grand franchise, it yeah, it just feels like it's really incredibly moving and difficult to watch. I thought this was one of the most powerful scenes in the whole uh, franchise. Honestly, watching her die, and I knew. Because I, I had seen some scenes before watching this, which would let me know that we were getting a new M. But still, watching her die, I was like, no! <laughs> you grow this attachment to these characters, especially with the actress behind the character, and it's like, oh my god, it's scary. And like you look back on the way that Judy Dench looked in Goldeneye, and you can see that she's gotten older, and she's been in the series for over a decade, and she's been M. Like to a lot of people, that is the one and only M. It's my favorite M, Judy Dench's versions, mm. and it, it's just like wow, she she dies and she dies with honor, and she she leaves when the mission's done. Like she had said earlier. Yep. It's so good. It's one of my favorite parts of this film. It's one of the only things that like is a change for the sake of a change that I didn't feel at least a portion of like, oh, why'd you do that? Kind of. Because it's just like, all right, well, you know, she had a good run, like they said. 
and she can't do the part forever. Let's have her bow out gracefully. Let's have her character die on screen instead of just being like, all right, well, now you have a new M in the next movie and we're just going to write it off as like, oh, your predecessor passed away or, you know, whatever. It's like, no, give her dignity. Give her the ability to do a death scene. Yeah. Yeah, she deserved more than that. I'm I'm sure that at least one of her predecessors may have been given the opportunity to do something similar if he hadn't actually passed away during the process of filming these movies. Yeah, maybe they would have done that with Bernard Lee or something. Yeah. Great musical score, great scene. And that transitions over to back in London, Bond overlooking the cityscape on the rooftop, and Eve comes up and hands him something that was left for him in her will. Uh, it's the little bulldog desk piece. <laughs> and Eve wonders, oh, maybe that's what her way of saying that you should take a desk job. And he says, no, nope, I mean, it's the total opposite. Which is cute. Love it. She also says that she's decided not to go back into the field. And Bond just says, oh, if it helps, I feel a lot safer. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, Eve is now going to be the personal secretary. And she formally introduces herself after Bond's like, I don't think that we've actually been like really introduced. And she says, oh, my name's Eve. Eve Moneypenny. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Just casually says, I look forward to our time together, Miss Moneypenny. Which is just like, "Ah, ah, ah, Moneypenny. Like, kind of like, it's one of those things in the movies where you just like nudge the person next to you, just like, she's the thing. (laughs) He said, Miss Moneypenny. And it's the traditional office. Like, that's not the Moneypenny office that we've been seeing it's there's a traditional red padded door there's a hat rack and a coat rack and and it's just like what the hell what kind of weird time stream are we on right now kind of you know like i of course marked out marked out for anybody who's not in the pro wrestling side it's like i freaked out in in my fandom of just like she's money petty Oh my god, this makes so much more sense now that they have this back and forth and this kind of their flirtation and everything and that it she wasn't just following throughout the film and fucking Bond and doing the traditional girl uh, Bond girl stuff. It's like, because she's money penny. Oh my god. The two main Bond girls of this film, well the three, you've got the femme fatale and the sacrificial lamb in one. You've got Money Penny. And you've got M. And you've got M. How I, fucking crazy is that? That's one of the reasons why I'm willing to bet that Callum put this number one because M, Money Penny, and Bond all play so well here and they're such main characters. And that's that's what this franchise is. Oh, it's it's mainly the Bond and M thing. The Money Penny thing is like it's a nice, it, it's a nice little player. I like the fact that she's given essentially an origin story. This before she gets behind the desk, and yeah, the, you can obviously tell the banter between the two of those ones. And that, again, that's the reason why I don't think that they would have slept together in the first place. Otherwise, it defeats the whole like purpose of it going forward. I feel like really you need to have that sort of mystery surrounding it to make it worthwhile 
and then yeah so I, I feel like this movie does a lot to both remain in the the new age of bond and the new approach that they're taking to a lot of these movies while also peppering in a lot of the old school stuff like the return of q the introduction of money penny the involvement of m and then a transition into a new m this new well this new office which is an old school version well, yeah. a, a revamped version of the original office we saw in the very first bond uh, movie how fucking yeah, trippy just, is that yeah it's like what's what's old is new in the uh in the bond franchise which i guess is kind of like the tagline of the entire thing as well because of bond being the old guy but still managing to get the job done and it's like bond's the old guy and it, we're just now starting kind of where we were in dr no mm. maybe you know maybe this happens and then it's like okay then I mean, I wouldn't start with Doctor No because that seems like a weird place to start, but it's something along those lines. Like you just do that, and then you transition to one of the the other movies where they were always meeting up in this office location. And in that traditional red padded door, Tanner pops out. You get the classic office back for M, and who is the new M? Gareth Mallory. Mallory does start with M, which is cool. It's like. Okay, that's why you named him Mallory then. And he's earned his way into being M at that point. And he's gotten good favor with the audience. He's got a rapport with Bond where he can, they can maybe not get along as well, but they can trust each other and they can respect each other. And it's that kind of like the same as like Sir Miles kind of M. He just says like, you know, hey, you ready to get back to work? M says, or Bond says, with pleasure, M. With pleasure. I don't like the end line. I think you could have had a, you stuck the landing a little bit better, but at least it's a callback to what they said earlier. I, of course, at this point in the movie, I'm just like in a haze because I'm like, okay, it's Money Penny and it's the office and Mallory is now M and what the hell? Are, like, are you? Just jumping for joy, like is it the opposite of the Last Jedi? Kinda, because I'm just like, wow, they killed M, and now we got a new M, and it's for this, and it's that, and it's that, and I'm like, well, man, there's a whirlwind going on right now. And then it leads to the gun barrel, and I go, ah! <laughs> <laughs> and now he's James Bond. No, it's not. It's not saying now he's James Bond. It's just like it, it's just saying like oh, the, all these things happen, which are very like I guess nostalgic or traditional for like longtime Bond fans. And it just feel to me, it just feels natural to put the gun barrel there. I don't like that. I think that that T- Tony, you, you're pushing it too hard, man. It's you okay. put the gun barrel at the beginning. Like, it's just, I don't like the gun barrel at the end thing. It's, I know that they did it for the 50th anniversary thing, but it's like, okay, that's three movies in a row that they do the thing and whatever differently. And it's just like, nah. So that threw me off a whole lot. And it, it is the the whole now he's James Bond because now he's in the office. Now he's got M. Now he's got Q. Now he's got Monty Penny. Now he's, you know, like if that would have been the end of the series, people would have been like, okay, I get it. Of course, it's not. We have, you know, two more movies to talk about, but still. At least. At least. Hopefully more. 
But I, I don't agree with your uh, thought of what's going to happen in no time today. I'm still. I hope I'm wrong. I still think that they're going to kill him off. They're too into the idea of why don't we do something different and uh, subvert expectations and stuff. Yeah, my, my issue with that is that you really thought that Amazon bought MGM and then they decided at the, at the exact same time that they're going to kill James Bond. I don't think that Amazon had a factor in with that. I think that the series that they're going to try to do is that they're going to try to spin it off with Nomi going forward and just be like, she's the new 007 and whatever, and let's retire the James Bond character and it's going to blow up in their face and then they're going to go in 10 years or something, they're going to be like, now Bond's back. Like, we're going to do a Bond. And now he's James Bond. And now he's Bond. And, you know. It means either way, then they're not, they're not essentially killing off James Bond then. Bond will be Bond will be back either way. I do still think that they're actually going to kill the character. I'm worried about that, but of course we don't know until we see it, which whenever the movie comes out. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's Skyfall. It's let's start breaking it down here with our usual breakdown that we've got. Gadgets. We got Thumbs the there. the radio, the gun, and the Aston Martin. The Martin and the gun are fun throwbacks. The radio is what it is, but thumbs up because Q is back and the gadgets are there. Thumbs down for me. Uh, for I got the thumbs up. I've already said. I go thumbs up because of the um, also the stuff they uh, fashioned together for the house. The Home Alone stuff? Yeah, that's gadgets. On the girls' side of things, we got Bond's unnamed lover that, you know, they bone and that's it. We've got Eve Moneypenny. And we've yeah. got Severine. Thumbs up. Kudos to Lover for getting out alive. Uh, Severine was seemingly good, and Money Penny is back, and that's the Bond girl, and that's the only one that'll ever matter. Yeah, thumbs up for the free. Gets a thumbs up for me too. I like Eve. I like Severine. The girl's a girl, you know, inconsequential. And of course, there's like the honorary Bond girl of M. Uh, on the ally side of things, we have quite a bit. We have M. We have Q finally back. We have Money Penny. We have Tanner. We have Gareth Mallory. And we have Kincaid. So I don't think there's ever been more of a thumbs up cast of allies than this movie. If you added Felix in there, that would be like just everything, right? Yeah. Great. And VJ. Just do a hefty <laughs> thumbs up. Yeah. Uh, Tanner is Tanner. We've talked about him before. Mallory, of course, we all are in agreement. Mallory's cool. Yeah. yeah. M's great. Kincaid's got his part. He plays really well. And even though Q is not the Q, that's my favorite Q. In a he's few scenes, he's uh he's a good Q. I like yeah, him. I think, yeah, I think he'll he's someone that I feel like will really grow into the role over time. On the villain side of things, we've got Patrice, which I feel is Underwhelming. But I really yeah. like Silva. Silva's great. I got thumbs up on both. Patrice is 
he doesn't have much of a line or anything, but he he's got some good action sequences, and Silva is one of the best main villains ever. On my rankings, I've got Patrice currently underneath Scarpine from A View to a Kill and above Vladimir from Die Another Day. Because it's just like, he doesn't really do too much. I'm not going to put him on par with like uh, Gobinda or something. Um, Villain-wise for the main villains, I've got Silva at number seven. I got him underneath Scaramanga, but above Kleb, which was hard for me because I really, really like Kleb. I have him at eight. He's a sandwich between Blofeld from Russia with Love and Trevelyan. I have him at number five. So behind the sheaf, ahead of Kananga. So he balances out on our scale right now. Currently, for the like combination kind of thing, he is number four. He is underneath the sheaf and above Blofeld from From Russia with Love. And um, yeah, thumbs up when it comes to Silva. Kudos to uh, one of the Dalton villains, Sanchez, taking the top spot, it looks like, for the whole series. I don't know. The next movie. But... <laughs> <laughs> you never know. We got the music side of things. I mentioned before, Skyfall is what I rank number one. I have it at number four, and it's simply because the three above it, I love as songs that I will listen to on the daily. So, You Know My Name is number one, Living Daylight's number two, A View to a Kill number three, and then Skyfall. Yep, Skyfall's number three. It's a, one of the best Bond songs ever made. Mathematically, because I rank it number one, and it's a, a number three and a number four, it comes out as number one right now. Just very narrowly, a slightly better score than what we have a View to a Kill at number two. And Living Daylight's at number three, and we'll wrap up all that those, stuff. Those are very good top three songs. I've got the opening sequence ranked at number eight. You guys haven't done that yet, but uh, yeah. Now, you're telling when you say opening sequence, do you mean the opening credits, or do you mean the whole scene beforehand? Before the scene. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've got it underneath The Man with the Golden Gun and above From Rush With Love. And then um, we got action and humor. I think thumbs, thumbs up. up on both. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So then that rounds out with, uh, you know, is it shaken or is it stirred? It's I'm obviously pretty, shaken. Pretty sure yeah, we all go shaken here. Yeah, really, really shaken. Real good, real good, real good. So Callum's got it ranked at number one. Rob has it ranked at number three. I've it ranked at number four. Mathematically comes out to number three on our list which is very 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 respectable of course because it's 3 out of 25 movies yeah, 3 out of 25 movies in 50 years like pretty nuts very, so very. That it is um is mathematically level with both like, uh, with both um, Skyfall and Goldeneye are both mathematically level but Goldeneye has because it's both year 2 number 1 then that puts it up ahead. yeah it gives it a, a little bit of a, a boost and um, Skyfall's great. There's 
those couple of flaws that I mentioned that keep it from being, if they change those things, I bump it up one notch and then it ends up being our number one rank, probably. Actually, no, Casino Royale would still be number one, but it would end up being number two. Really good. I would love to say yep. it's great to end the review to a kill on a great note, but then we have to get to the next film. <laughs> there is at least one more of these. I I am still shocked that we only have one more of these. Yeah. So, any other last thoughts about Skyfall? R.I.P. Judy Dench's M. One of the best characters in the entire franchise. Yeah. I think that um, this might be the peak for, at least in my in my interpretation, it was the peak for Craig's run. But we'll see what. Again, no, not knowing what a uh, no time to die has has in store. So for now, this is like, yeah, it was the peak for me. Great, great way to nearly end. Alrighty, well, drop your comments below. Tell us your thoughts on Skyfall. Give us your breakdown of the film and all the other kind of stuff that you want to take part in. We are pretty much done at this point. We do have one more left. We have the, of course, we'll carry things on in some other fashions for some other things going forward. But if you want to make sure that we continue a reviewable kill in some other kind of fashion or whatever, consider donating to the Patreon. Let us know in the comments below. Hit the like button. Do all the same stuff I mentioned at the beginning of this. And kind of stay tuned because... Even though uh, we still have only one film left, we do still have one film left to talk about and potentially some other things too. So um, thank you for listening, everybody. Follow us through all of our different methods. Uh, I am at Tony Mango. Of course, you should be following Fanboys Anonymous and Smart Out Moment. You should be following these guys on their social media accounts like uh, Callum over there at Wigmeister14, Rob over there at Dude Felice. They've yep, got and if you pro like, wrestling stuff. So if you're into that, yeah. check out the pro wrestling stuff that they've got going on as well. Yeah, just check out Fightful.com and check out WrestleZone.com and I thank you for your support. Yeah, just mainly on the uh, Smart Cat Moment side for me. So check out Power Rankings and all the other weekly articles. And yeah, if you want to check out some retro wrestling stuff, then there's both 2001 A Wrestling Odyssey and the Paul Heyman Smackdown podcast over on the Smart Cat Moment archives. Yeah, and I'm up to whatever I'm up to at this point. We're recording this on June 12th. This is going to be coming out sometime in July. Hopefully we've been having a good couple of weeks in the meantime. Hopefully you guys are staying safe and having some fun. We got some good news coming up with whatever the next stuff is happening with this franchise. But we do know at least what the next one is for this next episode because James Bond and the Review to a Kill podcast will return with Spectre. Spectre.